When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the winning run is at second base with two out, three and two to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first, behind the bag, it gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and this podcast is a fuck machine. And I'm Av Sedensky, and I hope there is no afterlife. I'm Keith Hernandez. And I thought we were done. Uh, I went up into the clubhouse because I didn't want to see Boston having fun on our field. And I'm very territorial that way. So we're very excited to have that very special guest with us today. No, I, I think I think, yeah, I think he actually just left. He said something about he had to drive some guy to the airport. Oh, that's too bad. I wanted to ask him if Koufax ever gave him some Kishka. Yeah, I don't think he ever played with Koufax. Well, Koufax gave Bill Buckner Kishka. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. No, they were at least they were both on the Dodgers, so maybe they crossed paths there. Mm. Like All Koufax right. is maybe more around the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. It was nice that he stopped by, but yeah. You know. <laughs> Listen, he's Keith Hernandez. He can do whatever he wants. He won the nineteen seventy nine MVP. He can come on a podcast. He can leave ten <laughs> seconds later. That's fine. Welcome back yeah, to pretty. Are- Pretty, pretty good. A Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to discuss season eight, episode nine, Mr. Softy, which originally aired on September 4th, 2011. And by the standard that, that Jared Jerome has previously established for me, we got sports, we got sex, and we got Judaism. So uh, this is an episode that I'm very excited for. Yeah. And like all three are in pretty significant quantities. This is like pretty heavy on all, on all three fronts. Like there's no messing around. Yeah. Well, on that front, should we not mess around and jump right into the into the uh, recap? I saw somebody uh, no, I have on one. Twitter. They don't like when people uh, discuss like yes. chat about random topics for half an hour. Yeah, we were we were subtweeted. Yes, I, think I don't think, I think that's the. Uh... <laughs> I think have subtweeting many people, but I'm not sure if we were. In All right, I have. Who is it? Adam I have Davidson? one. I have one. Uh, yeah, it was Adam Davidson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is he now? He's good. He said we were in the end stages of the Trump presidency in like late 2017. Oh, yeah. Turned out to be wrong. Yeah. Um. I have one thing. I have one thing. Um, it's um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, Larry David uh, specifically was featured on an episode of Robot Chicken this week. Mm. They had a nice little uh, sketch. It's it's kind of a Larry David crossover with the Avengers. So it might not be uh, completely up your alley, but I think the Larry David of it all is enough to get it you know, across the threshold that it's worth seeing. So um, I'm going to pull it up right now. For you to okay. watch live on this podcast. Okay. I just watched it. I just watched it moments ago. I just found out about this. And uh, we shall watch it together and we shall all enjoy it, too. Why is it not? Why is it not going? There we go. Are you able to see that? Yep. Okay. But the listeners won't. 
Yeah, that's fine. Drop a link. They can they can they can look on uh, YouTube for Larry David and the Avengers Robot Chicken. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. David, but your reservation was for seven o'clock and it's now seven fifteen. That's not on me. I was here at seven, but parking was a nightmare. You gotta give me that fifteen minute leeway. It's a leeway deal. That's <laughs> not how the world works, sir. Well, the world would be a lot better if there were places. Oh man. Places to park. Maybe we need half as many people on the planet. Hmm. The leeway. They gotta give you the leeway. I'd be furious if not for my new untuck it shirt. Buttoned down, but designed to be worn untucked. You know what? I, I can't believe how good it looks. It's a weird thing to say about a shirt, but uh, I love it. Jeff? Turning to ash. What's all this dust? Thanos that was Jeff? half of humanity out of existence based yeah, on yeah. your parking ramp. Uh, does not First look like all, Jeff. you said you were going to be here at four, and you got here at four. With more people, you wouldn't have found parking until at least 4.15. Oh, can it, Bernie? We would have just left 15 minutes earlier. Then I'm actually not offended by the Bernie comparison. Played him on SNL, made a few bucks. Great bucks? Eh, okay, bucks. <laughs> you know, Lauren. You ever been on SNL, Stark? Nah. Stark's too big. Stark's a big boy. <sighs> and if we want to defeat our enemies, we'll need your power. The power to annoy people so much, they just give up. How's the parking? Is there a pass? I'm going to need an assigned spot. Now, we go back in time and collect all the Infinity Stones. Hey, you want my opinion? Too many Avengers. I can't remember all these names. Also, some of you are gods. One of you is good at gym class archery. Yeah, it's uneven. I don't want to go anymore. I, I have to say, that was the worst Larry David impression I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm not an Avengers guy, but to me, that was very stupid and a waste of time. But you can tell me if I'm wrong. I, I apologize. I, I thought it was funny. All right. All right. I mean, maybe I'm not an Avengers guy. So I don't, although I read my, kid, yeah, my kids I'm have Avengers sure. books. So I've sort of picked up slightly on some of the characters. But yeah, I don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. there. Yeah. All right. Do we have any other uh, housekeeping or can we jump right into the recap? <laughs> no, we could jump in. We could jump in. We could jump okay. in. Yeah. Let's get into a very good episode of Kirk. Season 8, episode 9, Mr. Softy. And we start out, we're at Isabella's with Larry and his new girlfriend, Jennifer. Larry is doing very well for himself, you know, yeah. picking up a new girl week after week after week. So, yeah, so it's Anna Gasteyer, of course. They always say that, like, the music from the era when you were in high school is, like, always your favorite music for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? That makes sense. And yeah. I think, like, with the SNL cast, it's kind of the same way, except I would go more even junior high than high school. Um, so, like, to me, like, late 90s, uh, SNL is like the peak of SNL. And so I'm always excited to see Anna Gasteyer or, or any other um, alum of that era of SNL. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's yeah. Uh, she's she's really wonderful. Um, I'm not a huge SNL person, but that era definitely is the, the only time where I really paid serious attention to it and enjoyed yeah. it. I, I still sometimes watch it, but I basically never don't enjoy it. <laughs> she, uh, Anna Gasteyer, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been a good show for yeah. many, many years. She kind of reminds me of Catherine Hahn, who seems like yes. she, she seems yeah. like she would have been on SNL in the late nineties. Correct. Somehow wasn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're probably just thinking of Anna Gasteyer. I guess so, but she's doing okay for herself. Catherine Hahn. Actually probably better. Right. Than Anna well, yeah. But like years. what I'm saying is like, 
part of the reason why you feel like Catherine Hahn should have been on SNL is because she reminds you of Anna Gasteyer, who wasn't. Yes, I think yes. That's, like, that's probably it. Yeah. Like if not for Anna Gasteyer being on SNL, Catherine Hahn wouldn't seem as much like the type of person that would have been on SNL. Mm, yes, fair. Um, so, yeah, so she's great. We're glad to have her here. Um, and they're having a double date with Jeff and Susie sitting in the restaurant. And Larry's like, you know, he doesn't really like the whole eating outside spiel. He's wondering, is anyone else worried that the passing buses are going to, like, kick up some dirt in their food? Like, this is disgusting. What are we doing here? Um, and, you know, no one else seems to mind. But uh, Jeff mentions to Larry, hey, like, reminder, pick up my gloves. And Susie's like, gloves? What is this gloves? What are you talking about gloves? Gloves in the summer? Who wears gloves? And Jeff's like, no, not gloves. Baseball gloves. We're playing softball together. You know, softball. We're in the softball, you know, softball uh, playoffs together. We're playing the championship game. And like, Susie's like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, Larry is like, you know, I really hope this goes. Was, uh, better than the golf championship. Uh, if you recall back in Palestinian chicken, that was going well. Um, and then it did not end very well. Did not. It was not good. For, yeah, it was not good for anyone. Um, Larry's like, uh, ask Jennifer if she's going to come to the game. Um, and she's like, nah, I don't really like baseball. But Larry's like, you know, like we're in the still in the early stages of the relationship. <laughs> like you're supposed to feign interest yeah. in the other person's life and like do things that like they would want to do. Um, like Susie and Jeff, obviously they don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, that's like ridiculous. Sure. Uh, but like you know, we're still like you know, lovey dovey. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much right. Um, so yeah, so the waiter comes and he's like, "All right, I got your order. I got the one chicken and the one fish." Um, which we learned that Larry and uh, Jeff were planning to split. Uh, Larry gets takes the fish. Jeff takes the chicken, and Jeff takes a bite of the chicken. He's like, "You know what? I changed my mind. I'm just gonna have the chicken." Yeah. By the way, no chicken's that good. That it should justify that reaction. Yeah, yeah, like, well, yeah, what could it be already? It's I mean, whatever. That, that restaurant makes a pretty good bird, I guess. Yeah, well, it sounds like they make a pretty good fish, too. We'll learn. Um, mm, yeah. Larry's, like, really pissed off at Jeff. Like, no, like, this is ridiculous. We, we agreed to split. Like, I only got the fish because, like, I was intended on having some chicken, too. Like, I don't want to eat only fish. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it's not even, and, like, it's like Jeff implies, well, I got the chicken, you got the fish. It, it seems like they both got both. It just that's how happens to be how the waiter put it down. So yeah, Absolutely. Jeff is being I mean, yes. here. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff is being a complete, complete asshole. Yeah. Uh, but like Susie's like, hey, listen, like this is kind of what you get with Jeff. And like for, you know, overall, this is for the good. Like, you know, Jeff is not, you know, he doesn't have ethics. He's not. Yeah. A, he's, a, he's an unethical person, uh, like in your capacity as manager. That'll serve you very well. Obviously, in your capacity as friend. Not so much. Strange that she brings this up here, given that like this is not even like the top thousand of asshole things we've seen Jeff do. <laughs> yeah. Although this usually is- he's not screwing over Larry. Uh, he screws over Larry a fair amount, but yes, that's not usually the person he screws over. But he screws him over a lot more than somebody who's paid to like service the guy should. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So there are definitely a lot of situations where Larry should have the upper hand given yeah. the, the dynamic of their professional relationship. Um. So yeah. So Larry starts eating his fe- his food, and he's like, "Oh wow, this is great. This is so good." And Jeff's like, "Oh, you're like you're acting. You're pretending that it's good." Um, Jennifer off, offers Larry, you know, you can have some of my salad. Larry's like, nope, don't need it. I got the fish. It's amazing. I'm all set. Um, is, is Larry lying or telling like, I think he's lying. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think he's lying. No fish is that good. Uh, I think the if range no of fish is, is that much good. Big, I think the range of fish is much bigger than the range of chicken. That's true. I, yeah, but I also, there's, there's a bigger that. downside for fish than chicken. Yes, yes, a fairly big downside. Chicken like cannot be screwed up too easily. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had rubbery bad chicken, but yeah, but it's still better than like really, really. But bad even fish. that, it's like right. No, really bad fish could be bad yeah. and bony and yeah. All but sorts but, of but great, stuff. but great fish. Fish's peak is higher than chicken's peak, also. Um, I could buy that. I could buy that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's rare, though. It's rare. Yeah. Well, speaking of rare, like the rare, like if you get like uh, rare sashimi, right? Uncooked. Very good. Yeah, I do like that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, there's also also like delicious fried chicken. Like, you're not gonna have any fish that's better than fried chicken. Yeah, I'm not a big fried. That's chicken, better than really good fried chicken. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's a shame. Well, you're wrong about that. That's a shame. But, all right. Yeah. Um. Okay. So then we cut a little bit ahead, and Larry tells everyone that he feels that he has learned a very valuable lesson, mm-hmm. uh, but he's not gonna tell anyone what it is. Yeah. And Jeff's like, "Oh well, I too learned a, val- a very valuable lesson." And this is clearly uh, but Larry's like, "No." Yeah, this is clearly a lie. Like, you know, no, like you're just saying that because I said it. So you want to have one also. Um, so Jennifer's like, all right, idiots, I'm leaving. Um, I got a piano lesson. Good luck with your stupid game. Is she a piano and teacher or is she learning to play the piano? Uh, I assume she's a teacher. I have no basis for making that. I, th- I feel like that's more likely for someone mm-hmm. of her age to be giving piano lessons than taking piano lessons. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, she's not a. Not not to say there's anything wrong at all with someone taking piano at an older age. It's very like, meritorious. I yes, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's just much less common. Yeah, she uh, she really doesn't say too much though. She just sort of sits there and watches the uh, the craziness ensue at the scene. Now it might be in real life, Anna Gast are a little intimidated by like these three curb mainstays just going at each other, and she doesn't know where to sort of step in. But yeah, it could be. Yeah, not the, she's obviously um, an extremely experienced uh, you know comedian and improviser. But uh, yeah, the the Larry and Jeff are just going at each other at this scene. Yeah. So, yeah, Susie's just like, I can't believe that this woman likes Larry David. And Larry's like, yep, I don't tell you. She gets me. And Jeff goes to the bathroom and Susie's like, hey, while Jeff's in the bathroom, um, I wanted to ask you, can you do me this favor? Um, There's this thing where Mookie Wilson's giving out autographs at the Regency Hotel nearby. And I think it would be an awesome birthday gift for Jeff to get a signed baseball for Mookie Wilson because he's his favorite player. Yeah. Now I have a few issues here. First of all, why doesn't Susie just do it herself? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I've Second of all, that. if Jeff, <laughs> they want Larry in the story. If yeah. Mookie Wilson is really Jeff's all-time favorite player, not second or third. This is his number one guy. I feel like how much does Mookie baseball autographed cost? Two hundred bucks. It's like not that hard of a thing to get. Like, why did he never get one until now? Um, yeah, although like it, this, I feel like that is more accurate to say in these days. I don't know. I don't remember how advanced the internet was at that point. Was it like such that 2011? like 2011? Yeah, eBay was like the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Especially, I guess. All yeah. right, I'm thinking eBay. I, I wasn't thinking eBay, but like, well, they're like just like websites where you just like type in this is what I want. And you can get yes, anything. I, in, yeah, 2011 was not that long ago. Yeah, I know. I was. I yeah. lose very. I, very, I lose perspective. It's hard to. Time, yeah, no, that's fair. Awesome. Yeah, but I just like I'm like if you're especially like if you're a guy like I'm not a guy who collects like autograph, but like my father-in-law, for example, has a whole room and he has like autographs of of like autographed boxing gloves and autographed basketball shoes and like a bunch of autographs like things like if he had his favorite favorite player in the world there's no question he would already have an autograph of it right like Richard Lewis already has an autograph of his favorite player right um yeah that's uh, that's certainly reasonable I mean I certainly could see you know it's maybe just like not the type of thing that Jeff would ever have bought for himself but like he'll appreciate the gift like um you know not everyone's into memorabilia but if you, I mean, buy listen, it, you can't buy like, things oh, online you cool. have to go in person and get it signed by mookie now if it's a personalized ball obviously then it's a little bit different but um yeah so you could get a personalized yeah, yeah. but doesn't does, does bill ask I mean, he doesn't get a personalized yeah he doesn't yeah no anyway. we, definitely, we definitely don't see it he, he gets it very quickly by the way much cooler than getting an autographed baseball for mookie wilson is hang out with like bill buckner for day after day after day as larry <laughs> does <laughs> yeah we'll talk about yeah why yeah. bill continues to, yeah anyway um okay 
Um, so yeah. Oh, and we uh, we see that as um, La- Susie's like asking Larry about this, he gets a little distracted because a Mister Softy truck has passed by. Mm-hmm. But like then he like snaps back in. He's like, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll get uh, I'll go get that ball for Jeff. Sounds good. Now, do you know what that reminds me of? Where I get sort of the deja vu and go back to my youth whenever I hear that song is. No. 10th grade um we were in the same class like a three and a half hour class every morning which was very Mm -hmm. long and very boring and interminable um although in my memory i only remember like the crazy like highlights of like the outlandish insane things that happened even though that was probably i believe that was like one percent of the time or less yeah i believe we'll be uh there's a good chance we'll be having a uh a guest on a future episode of this podcast who went to high school at the same high school as us well who's in that class with us or no no, oh, no, no, I don't. Not I, don't. Our, not our, yeah. I, I just picked the point. <laughs> um, yeah, but I just remember like they used to have. I think it was actually car alarms in, in like the Heights would play that song, but I don't know if it was car alarms. Yes, or drugs, yes. but they play that all the time. And we I didn't definitely associate the windows would be open. I definitely it'd be hot. Yes, we would. Yeah. Yes, the city sounds and like that's one of, one of the reasons why I loved in the Heights so much is that just like I felt like it captured so much just like like the sound and feel of Washington Heights, which just like I like lived in for so long and like just like sitting in like those long, out you know, classroom hours, just like super boring. And like the only relief was like the Mr. Softy trucks and the car alarms. Like those were like <laughs> the like the escapism from like, yeah, like these like super long, boring classes. I remember Rabbi Dulitz asked me one day at the end of class, he said, and this is again, we've been in there for three and a half hours together. He said, tell me a single thing you learned today. Any one thing. And I could not do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was like, yeah, very, very long and intense Talmud study for like three plus hours, almost consecutively. Like you did different periods where like the teacher saw it and then you were supposed to like learn one on one with a classmate. It was very, very intense and very confusing. And uh, yeah. So. Yeah, you needed those ice cream trucks. Um, so, yeah. So, OK, so Larry is um, he's making so much progress in New York that he's going he's back in therapy. He, does, he has his own uh, psychiatrist, on, you know, at home in New York. Dr. Him. Thurgood, um, played by Fred Malamed. Another. Yeah. We, get, we see so many fantastically New York actors in this season when they're in New mm-hmm. York. And I guess because of the demographics, it's also a lot of like uh, Jewish actors. We'll see a couple more at the, at the Shiva and a Fred Malamed. Right. I, I think my favorite role of his is Serious Man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he kind of he kind of plays a similar character there as here. Um, I think he's the, uh, the one in Serious Man is like even more like over the top in like oh, this quality that he. Pu- yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> this but like this this quality of just like being so self-righteous in like such a self-aware yeah. fashion that he's like he like he's like gaslighting. He's like, no, like I'm like doing you like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm doing nothing wrong like, yeah, oh, by great. having sex with your wife, by the way. <laughs> Right. Like, let's just like, let's not be so serious about this situation. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, we're going to get through it. He has a bigger office than any actual therapist anywhere in Manhattan. Oh, does he? Yeah, it's this, this enormous office with this beautiful wood paneling. It's beautiful. But yeah, those don't exist in Manhattan. So um, Larry's telling Dr. Uh, Thurgood how he likes Jennifer, but he's worried, like, you know, where's this going to go? You know, she has kids. Like, I don't really see how that's going to work. And he wonders, you know, why is it that every happy woman I ever see is married and every happy man I ever meet is single? Uh, is that your experience? No, that is not my experience. Is every, ha- is every man you meet? Matt, Matt? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's right. OK, and then he uh, he starts talking to Dr. Uh, Malamud, uh, doctor, sorry, Dr. Thurgood, about how, um, you know, he was distracted this time by this ice cream truck. And it because of he uh, it reminded him of something that happened at a child that 
had was had this like traumatic impact on him. And we start getting this flashback of Larry um, having this childhood memory. Let's do another hand. You know what? I'm going to take two. All right, Larry, what do you got? I got two pair. Wow, that's pretty good, but not good enough. I got flesh. Yeah, that's right. All right, come on, take it off. Come on. That's pretty, pretty, pretty good. What the hell are you doing with my daughter? Come here. Come here. Now you be quiet. Hey, you be quiet. Listen to me. You can open the door. Oh, it's the vagina show. Oh, my God. Dude, this is the one. Oh, my God. 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 And to this day, whenever I see the softy truck or especially hear the music, that music, that goes in a continuous loop. Da 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 I'm very impressed that he found himself in a situation where he was playing strip poker with like such an attractive little girl. Yeah, we got very close. To, uh, Susan Fleshner, maybe not have been the one to yeah. uh, take. Well, I think they're a little. T- I think they're a little bit too young for that. But um, yeah, but this. But I think, as Larry says, you think he, if he had taken her top off, his whole well, life might have been different. He's like, much this, more confident. This might have yeah. been his like one chance to be like, oh, like I got like a girl to like me when I was like young, and like you know, yeah, his whole childhood. Is no, I, I never got anywhere close uh, to a girl like that when I was eleven or twelve. So, by the way, oh, she's yeah. played by Odea Rush, an Israeli actress who grew up to look like Mila Kunis from the pictures I've seen. Interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, we did play so, strip yeah, poker. So, did you ever play strip poker when you were like younger? No. So we used to play at camp, but only with boys, which I'm not really sure uh, what, what the motivation was in the first place. Um, but then I, I, this is at, in Wild Rose, which is a, a strange place in Wisconsin where many disturbing things occurred. And like playing strip poker with a bunch of boys is in your crack the top 100. So, um, yeah, but we definitely did that a lot. And I do like, by the way, we get three pretties from Emily for Larry's junk. Yes. Well, we first get one, she gives a one pretty to his two pair. Mm. That gets one pretty. Yeah. Um, and then but then let make it. I think three pretties is pretty good. And I would say yeah. like getting three pretties is like five pretties. Yeah. In that situation. And, but 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 here's the question, because when he goes outside, when the one guy says you forgot something like it's very clear that he uh, he's not all he doesn't have all that should be and more. Um, but yeah, she was impressed. Anyway. So was she just being very complimentary? I guess anything's pretty, pretty, pretty good if you're. A, 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 yeah, I mean, know, this is, yeah. you know, she's probably not that experienced either. Oh, yeah, I would imagine. Um, so. so I have to ask, do we do we now say that this girl coins the expression pretty, pretty, pretty good? Is that where this came from? Ah, so, of course, what we're seeing is Larry's telling the story to his psychiatrist in 2011. And so yeah. it's probably like Larry's memory of the event, which is what we're seeing, may not have been. So I don't know if she actually used that expression or if he just so you're saying in, he's 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 putting his own gloss on the character. 
Well, I think everybody does that with their memories intentionally or not. I'm not not saying that's a crazy suggestion. I'm saying that's your theory. Although, yeah, to me, that's more likely than this girl said pretty, pretty, pretty good. And then he co-opted it because he would want nothing to do with it. He co-opted it. I don't think he'd want to, like, take a line from her because it's such a traumatic experience. Or that it was overall traumatic. But part of the trauma is that, like, this I'll never forget that she said I was pretty, pretty, pretty good. Mm. And, like, it could have happened if only her father didn't come barging in. Yeah, but what's the it? They're little. What happened is they like I mean, he sees he his whole life would have been different kiss. if she takes. Yeah, I heard. I right. heard his whole yeah. his whole life would have been different. That's what he says. Yeah, that's, I feel like my life would be different if I had more experiences at a younger age also. So that's fair now. Yeah, but would it really or would just feel like you would just have some you would like yeah. you would have other like Probably white whales that you did too. Now, here's right? the interesting like what I, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what yeah. you're saying. Um, We got three pretties, as you said, from Emily here, right? We have never gotten three pretties on curb through the first eight seasons. Really? Yeah. Really? We've had two a bunch of times. We've had four. Now, now, We've had five. Now this is the second. Now, this is, I believe, the second person other than Larry David that we've ever heard say pretty, pretty, pretty good. Right. Ooh. so with the eyes there, I have that information here. I think it's only I don't, I don't actually. Yeah, I need to know if it's somebody else. So this one was Emily, who was, I think George. I think George George does it in the Seinfeld episode. Okay, so that was in the season. We got five there. So that was George. That was Jason Alexander as George Costanza. You're saying, right? In, okay. In the app, in, right? George Costanza says it. Yeah. Now I have not only the the episodes where each one happens, but the timestamps. So I could go back to confirm, but yeah, I'm going to assume that the first, um, all the early ones were Larry. Jeff Schaefer told us that there is someone in season eleven who says it, other than Larry. Yes, but we don't know who yet. So we'll be on the we don't know there'll be, there'll be a mystery. That'll be a big. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what many people will be wondering going into the season is going to be who is the character that says that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's okay. a pretty so, big cover. It's a pretty big honor to be told, hey, you get to use like Larry's like most famous uh, catchphrase and to go to like yeah, this 11 year old like little girl. It's it's a tremendous honor, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. So Larry, uh, you know, continues talking to the therapist. And oh, did you notice we got, we got a four eyed fuck in there from one of the uh, onlookers in the flashback? Oh, oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No bald um, asshole because he obviously wasn't. yet. No. But, yeah. 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 I mean, if there was a smart kid, you would think he would see it coming. Um, so Larry keeps asking for permission to put his feet on the table. The doctor like doesn't really seem to care. Um, he's like, listen, if you want Japanese slippers, if that'll make you more comfortable. And like Larry first tries to put one foot and two feet that he decides, you know, the whole thing makes him uncomfortable. Uh, he takes him down. Right. OK. And then he says, as we said before, that, you know, um, if only the, the dad hadn't come storming in, my whole life would have been different. So we go to Central Park and it's the day of the big game. And Larry goes up to Yari and he asks him what's going on with his car. And we learn that the uh, the manager and pitcher for the team, I guess he wasn't at the last game and Larry pitched, but it's Robert Smigel. Um, I would say most known for being the voice of the Triumph, the insult comic dog. Is that correct? Is that, yeah. Is, that, is there anything he's bigger for? I think that's the most famous thing in terms of his voice. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you hear him. You immediately think of Triumph's voice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know him for much else offhand. He's been a writer um, on SNL and a bunch of other stuff for years and got it. Yeah. So you but you wouldn't necessarily like recognize him. Um no, his like, face, yeah. His voice um, is more famous so yeah, than so, his face. Yeah, so Yari's like, Yeah, no, of course, no problem. Easy job, it'll be ready tomorrow. Just focus on the game. And he calls in the whole team for a pep talk. Which we will get to join in for. I could use a pep talk myself, I believe. Okay. 
We're here. We made it. We made it to the big game. Center stage. Every one of you, all give yourselves a clap on the hand. I'm so proud of every one of you. You know, before I came out today, I think about, I'm like the Steinbrenner. And I think, what would Steinbrenner say right now? He would say that when you put on this uniform with my name on it, there is no substitute for winning. No substitute. Or you hit the deck. So we're going to go out there. We're going to play this other team, quote unquote, Rally's clothing with their <laughs> pussy mustard yellow shit uniforms. We aren't just going to beat them. We will grab them and we will fuck their sisters in the cunt. Are you listening? Bring it in. Come on. Fuck these people. Fuck, fuck these people. people. Yes. Now, can we talk about. <laughs> okay. Here. Can we talk about. The, I mean, before we get to Yari and his motivational speech, who are the members of this team? So. Yari's Autonomics, we've confirmed, is an auto repair company. So apparently, Larry's car, which um, Leon drove all the way from L.A., had to get fixed. Uh Larry took it to a mechanic. That mechanic said, fine, I'll fix your car. And also, by the way, do you and a friend of yours want to play on my softball team? Because he's bringing in ringers. He's bringing in random customers who are like 60-year-old, like, you know, either overly skinny or obese men. But, like, if you look at the rest of the team, they're all, like, pretty physically fit younger people. So who are who who is this hey, team? Is this the same team he was on two episodes ago? Yeah, it was Yari's Auto. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we so saw that, Yari then, in the background, but he didn't talk. But then he—that means he already knows Yari, not from now, from his episode, from his car being. Like, well, the, didn't he just bring in the car? Well, oh wait, because oh, Leon just showed up last episode. You're saying? Oh no, Leon showed up in the same episode. Hmm. Did, uh, does Leon get to New York first, or does he start playing softball first? Okay, so let's flip it. So basically, he's already friends. He plays with softball on the bisexual. When does Leon come? I don't even remember. But probably it, the it, same episode. It he can't, was probably already there. It, yeah. it, it can't be. Yes, because he gives him because he gives him the Viagra, so he's definitely there. Right? Yeah, it can't be that Larry independently was friends with Yari and then joined and then brought his car because he's already friends with him. Because it's very clear when he leaves the auto mechanic store later in this episode that like that's the, like that's the extent of their relationship. Was fixing yeah, the car no. and the softball. So I, it must yeah, have been that Yari right. Yari has a team and he recruits players for his team from his customers. And I just don't understand why he would have picked Larry and Jeff in the first place. Yeah. Larry was going to buy um, should have known. Yeah, maybe because they're quasi-celebrities. He thought it would be cool to have them on the team. Mm, or maybe. at least Larry's a quasi-celebrity. Yeah, that could be. That could be. But you'd stick him. Yeah, he, he sticks him in prominent spots. Anyway. Yeah, for he plays some pitcher for a space. Yeah. yeah. Although, yeah, well, um, last time we saw Larry was pitching. Now, in this episode, Yari's pitching and Larry's moved to first. So, yeah, Larry, Larry's no longer the pitcher. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, did you notice Amy Schumer's um, on the team? Yes, he's one of the women we'll see as uh, walks she walks by and says, what a douche. What a douche. Um, also worth pointing out the funny uh, kind of meta joke, whether intentional or not, of uh, Yari claiming to be Steinbrenner when, of course, Larry David played Steinbrenner on Seinfeld. Yeah, true. But in, in the curb world, I don't think we know that because in the curb world, Larry David isn't as famous. So we, we haven't very carefully picked up on every time. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I'm, I'm not saying that Yari is aware of that, but I'm saying uh, I think the yeah, writers yes, for us, yes. are probably aware of making a joke for the audience. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yes. 
Um, okay, so we're gonna go to the big, uh, the big play. It's the big game, the big day. Um, one out, one out to go, and it'll all be over. We go two outs. This is it, championship. One more out. All right, ground ball goes to first, second, or third, or home. All right, come on, Yari. Oh, the bases are loaded, apparently. No, I don't think I think it's second and third. No, but he said the ground ball goes to first or second or third or home. Oh, yeah, because let's see. I heard him say that, but then I, when I looked, I didn't see somebody on first. To first, second or third or home. All right, come on, Yari. See, there's no one on first. Interesting. We just went. So Yari's we just, wrong. We went, so it, ha- it has to go to first. It's not a force anywhere else. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yari's yeah, a terrible time runner. If they would have gone to any let's other base. Ahead. Yeah. Also, I like when Yari like makes fun of the other team that like they're like named after like some stupid star. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, okay, Yari's auto shop. But they're mustard fucking I will say their hats are pretty nice. <laughs> you don't see hats that nice usually in Central Park softball. The Y one? The Yari hat? Fuck these people! Fuck, Fuck these people! people! <laughs> yes! Okay, hey, look. Their sisters in the concert. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we reviewing this? Yeah, here we hey, go. see, look. There's no one on first base. Let's see. There's a runner on third, runner on second. Yeah, you're right. So Yari's completely wrong. It's a force at first only. Yeah. So maybe, you know what? This is really on Yari for like, he, he called out the play wrong. Yeah. I mean, now it was a grounder to first. So Larry would have just tagged. First, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. But, but he, he also shares blame. Yeah. And he nobody corrects him. Everybody's yeah, nobody corrects him. By the way, does batters using a wooden yeah. bat? Nobody's using wooden bats in softball. But yeah. Whatever. Agreed. That's fine. Um, okay. So let's, yeah, let's see the play. Two outs. This is it. Championship. Championship. One more out. All right. Ground ball goes to first, second. False. Fake news. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, you got it, Larry. Here it comes. Oh, you got it. You got it. What the fuck? What? And now they're going. How? How did this? What? I got distracted by the soft. What did you do? I got distracted. How could you do this? A baby could have kicked that ball and picked it up, thrown it three places. You bucknered me. You fucking bucknered it. Why is Buckner on my team? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, yeah, so it's uh, I think it's a good time to mention that. So like this is very much based on the the Bill Buckner play. And I think that like this scene, the way that they stage it out, not necessarily exactly the way that they got it, that, you know, that they that Yari doesn't even know what the, the basis situation Did is. They, wait, hold on. Like, Did the Mets is, have guys on second and third also? So this is this is what I'm getting into. Okay. So I think that this plays into what I think is a couple common misconceptions about the Buckner play, which is that a the game was already tied by the time Mookie Wilson hit the ground ball. Yeah, it was. They entered it with a two run lead. They already cut it to one. Then on a wild pitch that tied the game. So yeah. I think most people believe that if Bill Buckner had fielded the ball correctly, the, the Boston Red, Sox Red Sox would have won, won the World, World Series, Series That's which false. is not true. Yeah, yeah, it's not true. It would have gone to extra innings and they could have won, but like they did, they wouldn't have won. Um, also, I think that there are people who think that the Mets won the World Series on that play. when in fact, that just no, that's game six. no but everybody knows yeah. that. I think the first one think- is. The first one, I think almost everybody doesn't know. I think you're right. Yes. But yeah, but the, I think, you know, to the extent people know this, it's like it's game six. Yeah. And then the Mets yeah, lose I the guess. next night okay. or win the next night. Yeah. And that's when the next night. Well, it's not the next night. It's a couple of nights. Later, the the, the, the point, yeah. the point being out. that, yeah, that they even had more chances. So Buckner really gets an unfair, uh, you know, 
criticism. Yes, com- yes, correct. Right. There was a whole nother game that they c- yeah. still could have won. La- later on this episode, in two uh, individual conversations, Merkel's boner will be brought up. And that's a play that's right. which is that's actually right. much worse. Like it directly does cost them. But again, but because it's pre-camera, pre-video, uh, you know, he doesn't suffer the way that uh, Buckner does. Buckner's boner, by the way, would sound, there's no name for this. Like, what do we call this play or this game? We don't have a name for it, which is weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's just kind of called like the Bill Buckner play. In football, you almost always have names for like the iconic plays. Um, and in baseball, right. in other cases, you do. But um, yeah, football is the most. There's the catch and the, yeah, there's everything. The fumble. Yeah, but yeah, th- this, yeah. Name, so this the, game doesn't have a name. Yeah, so the main difference between that situation and ours in our episode is that the, the game was tied already versus with Larry, they're up a run still when he makes the error. Yeah, and but then, they have to be up on exactly one. Yeah, correct. And then the difference is that uh, for the Buckner play, the match just had Ray Knight was on second base. There was nobody on third base mm. but because the guy from third, the guy who would have been on third base already scored on the wild pitch, mm. meaning yes. but for the wild pitch, it would have first and third. So so if there's no good. wild, if there if there's no wild pitch, then Buckner does cost him the World Series. If there's no wild pitch and the same thing, then, happens, then the well, Mets no, are down one and there's one on second and third at that situation. Well, no, because it, it was first. It was, it, was, first, it, was, it was first and it was first and third, and the wild pitch happened, and the guy from third, Mitchell scored, oh, and Knight okay. went to second. Oh, so, so, so there's so no wild pitch, then Knight isn't scoring the Buck- after Buckner's error anyway. If, right, so it would have then, in that situation, been correct that had he made the play, the World Series would have ended, but then he but makes it, the error. It, yeah, but they don't go from winning to losing in one Mitchell play. Mitchell scores, Knight yeah. probably at best goes to third. Just the third, yeah, yeah. And Wilson's on mm. first, and then Howard Johnson would have been up. Yeah. So he is the he's the famous trivia question for for among Mets fans of who was on deck. Oh. Um, now and interestingly now, do enough, you get, Bill do Buckner, you get a fucking tingle in your Howard Johnson when a motherfucker tells you that he's about to be on base, <laughs> that he's about to be on deck? Um, yeah, I, I get a little bit of one. Mm-hmm. Um, when there, I always remember when there, you know, there's that like hotel chain Howard Johnson. Yeah, like when I was a kid, like I just assumed that it had something to do with Howard Johnson. Of course, that's yeah. And like and like I always wanted to go. I'm like, oh, can we? Like, I want to go to a Howard Johnson. And like, yeah. no, we were, we're staying in a Sheraton. And I'm like, mm. so annoying. Can we like, I, I assumed like, if I go there, like I'm going to get to meet him. He's going to be there. Yeah, he, like, he runs all, all, all of them. He's just going from the store. <laughs> now, that was Howard Johnson's right. features prominently in Mad Men. But you were older then by then. Yes, yes. By yes. that I understood. You no longer thought that Howard Johnson um, owned Howard Johnson's. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I was no. a Mets fan and I'm not a Mets fan, Howard Johnson would have been my favorite man. Yeah, he was great. He was great. He was a great all-around player. Yeah, 30-30 in the beard and everything. Yeah, yeah. awesome beard. Great yeah. name. Howard Johnson is a great name for a baseball player. Yeah, or a hotel chain. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, um, when Marty Barrett struck out in Game 7 to end Game 7 of the World Series with the Mets winning, uh, Bill Buckner was on deck. Mm. That so, is interesting. Yeah. But what was the score at that point in Game 7? What did the Mets oh, no, they were, down a few, they were down a few runs. I think okay, so it's not like Buckner had a chance of doing it. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I don't know the exact. Oh, maybe maybe it was closer, but I, I don't like it wasn't like uh, he didn't come. He wasn't coming up on with men on base or anything. Oh, I guess if that guy got up. I mean, this is obviously not a sports podcast or a Mets podcast or whatever, but yeah. um, I, and I, you know, I've argued with this about a key on 32 fans before. Like, do you so you were three years old at the time. You obviously have no memories of this happening, but you were technically alive and, you know, you're you've you're aware of it happening after the fact. Do you yeah. like appreciate so, like as a Mets fan, do you get like like pleasure, Hana, as we would say, from the 1986 World Series? 
enormous. I mean, part of yes, that okay, has yeah. to do with the fact that yeah, has to do with the fact that you don't have I just haven't seen any yeah. of my teams win anything since. So like, yeah, yeah, like I'm a huge Mets fan. I don't even like Boston Red Sox at all. Um, although I ended up liking them more once they became like the antagonists for the Yankees, yeah, yeah. like in the yeah, of course thousands. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's like it's like it's kind of crazy. But like t- some of the high points of my life, and this makes no sense of my sports fandom, are the Red Sox beating the Yankees in the 2004 ALCS was mm-hmm. is literally one of the most enjoyable things I've experienced as a sports fan yeah um and somehow like the 1986 Mets it's because like I've watched like that World Series video so many times because it was like it's all I ever had like, yeah growing up as a kid like, but no but so you're, also, you're like, on the same page as me here because that's what I said to Akiva like Akiva's like like the fact the Jets won those Super Bowls like has no relevance it doesn't count at all no I well I agree about that so I think well that's further away I think I the, the Jets stuff means nothing to me I think it's further away the like the Jets stuff the players literally the nothing Mets. you get I, nothing you get no better nothing very not you don't not enjoy Joe Namath? nothing but very little ah eh, not really he was, it doesn't he was mean a Joe Namath fan the the player like the players I'm from the '86 Mets I saw play that's a big difference like yeah. when I grew up like the big players were Gooden and Strawberry like this had this had just happened like, yeah, yeah like you know I was already a big Mets fan in like 1989 1990 1991 like some yeah. of the same players were still on the team like it's it's very different um yeah so we're um we should yeah we actually did, we didn't mention at all we should have if we were a smart podcaster we would have mentioned at the top of the episode that we have uh interviews that we're adding at the end of the episode yeah but it's in the notes and i just mentioned it yeah that's fine okay so we're mentioning it now um so yeah so we actually have two interviews um coming up at the end of this episode kind of a little little special uh, bonus snippets the first is an interview um that alex and i did together with a woman named abby ellen she wrote an article um about this episode she's a big she was big Red Sox fan and always kind of felt bad for Bill Buckner. And she wrote this episode, this uh, article. She's like, she's like a New York times writer, time magazine writer. And she wrote for this book. Um, and then we have another uh, sh- pretty short interview uh, between me and a fellow named Greg Prince, who uh, writes for a blog I, uh, called Faith and Fear and Flushing. It's a blog all about the New York Mets. He's written some books about the Mets. And so if you want to hear a uh, more intense discussion of, you know, the ninth, the ninth and tenth innings of uh, Game Six of the nineteen eighty six World Series. Uh, you can check that out at the end of this podcast as well. Looking forward. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So we saw there um, Amy Schumer heckling. Uh, I, I I'm not convinced. I'm not sure which one of the of the two women is her. She's the one who points at him um, and says, "What a douche! What a douche!" That one, not the other one who calls her an asshole. Yeah. She's she's the one who says douche. Um, they're, both, by the way, they're both. They're both. They're both blonde. It's pretty cool to be like, you know, in 2011, Amy Schumer was like an up and coming comedian. You get to like point Larry David from an inch away and call him a douche. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So where was she at at that point in her career? Uh, Well, now I got to go look up Amy Schumer. Yeah. I just thought. Yeah. 2011. Um, Yeah. So, okay, she uh, she won last comic standing in 2007. Okay, so she's already pretty big. Um, I mean, in in a certain way. Yes. She was on 30 Rock for one episode. Yeah. Um, no, she wasn't. Oh, she was she on, w- like a she was on all, WTF so. in 2011. Okay. But so like, that's pretty. Fine. Yeah. So she's already pretty prominent, at least as a comedian. Yeah, I'm looking. But I'm looking at I'm looking at her television. Yeah, but she's she's not playing herself. I, I say clearly. Yeah, no, no, for sure not. She's just playing uh, teammate number two. Yeah. Yeah, no. Then the, the first time that she's like, she, oh, she's not even on a roast yet because I got to know her as a roast. Her first roast is in 2011. That was the Charlie Sheen roast. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then she's on. Uh, yeah. And then um, the roast, roast, roast. 
Yeah, Inside Amy Schumer is 2013, and I think that's when she becomes much bigger. Yeah. By the way, do you remember who the first Roastmaster was of like when they brought back the roasts in like the early 2000s? I don't. I was was never a big of those roasts. It was Jeff Garland. Oh, really? Yeah. They were roasting uh, Dennis Leary. Hmm. And then Jason Alexander. Now I'm actually looking at the list. Jason Alexander was also Roastmaster when they roasted William Shatner. Mm. That one I've seen. seen, I'm I'm a big roast guy. I've seen most of these. I haven't seen the Dennis Leary one. I don't think. Yeah, I'm not a big watch for them. Yeah, not like if I hear that. a particular one is very good, then I'll sometimes yeah. watch it. But eh, yeah. they're like, they're not necessarily my thing. Um, okay, so uh, Larry arrives back home to his apartment. He finds Leon waiting for him outside the door. And Larry tells Leon all about how he ruined the game. But Leon is just relieved to see Larry. He's been waiting outside for him for a really long time because the doorman wasn't letting him in. And Larry's like, listen, I'm really sorry on behalf of all Caucasians. Um, And he adds that, you know, you should really wear glasses in such situations and you can avoid these problems in the future because um, I've noticed that when black guys wear glasses, they receive special preference even over white guys, which you wouldn't think Mm -hmm. Uh, because turns out white people revere black men in glasses. And Leon, like, is not, you know, sold. He doesn't really, sh- he's unsure that this is correct, but he yeah. says, oh, I don't think correct. Malcolm X was re- revered by white people so much in his time. Yeah, I'm going to call, sh- I'm going to call shenanigans on this. Um, yeah. I think uh, white people are still very capable of uh, very hating black people, even with yeah. glasses. Yeah. Um, here's the so other Leon thing. Wants to Leon's, know how been living, yeah. Leon's been living in this apartment for a significant period of time with Larry. It's not like he's just visiting one time. So how this? So, I mean, it yeah, is pretty. You would, you would think it's been at least by the door, man. You, yeah, you'd think it's been at least a few days. Yeah, they just they needed to more. get to the glasses thing, and so that's how they got there. Yeah. Um. So Leon asks Larry how things are going with Jennifer, and Larry tells him that he's seeing her tonight, and he has this smile on his face, and Leon's really exciting, saying he gets a fucking tingle in his Johnson when a motherfucker tells me he's about to get some ass. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess we can call that his Leon tingle. Mm-hmm. And they both head into the apartment and Larry's uh, Leon's like super happy. He's like sticking in the doorman's face. He's like, oh, you're not doing your job. You got to let me in. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, fun stuff from Leon there. So it's nighttime and we go over to Jennifer's apartment and Larry and Jennifer are going at it. And Larry seems to be doing a very nice job. Um, I'd say is he, is he juicing or not juicing? I don't think he's using. I think he's out of stuff, although we did see him, uh, you know, around uh, Washington Square Park last week. So we can't rule out that he's been going back for refills. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and he seems to be doing a good job. I mean, I guess there's no reason to think why not. Like if he's discovered this thing as like, oh, wow, this is like makes me awesome in bed. So like exactly. that yeah, one that's girl what caught I him. Yeah. Like why? Like why would he stop? Yeah. Um, he didn't seem to have any reason not to other than he got caught. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I don't he think seems most to be doing. Be, yeah. Yeah, I think most women will be fine with it, although I don't know, but they should be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, you can have sex much well better now. and I can enjoy myself yeah. much more. Right. Sounds great. Yeah. Oh, and all the long term risks are on you, guy I just met. Wonderful. Are there long term um, risks for, for taking? Um, I have no idea. Whatever yeah. down, whatever downsides there are. Oh. That's all I mean. It's like whatever risks there are. Is I don't know. Like, there were any. Yeah. Your okay. I have no idea. I mean, there's, you know, there's risks with anything. Um, yeah, the risk so is yeah, you get so, too much ass. <laughs> I would say um, he gets even more pretties um, 
than the girl from earlier is giving him more pretty like she like she seems to be really enjoying herself. Yeah, Larry um, in New York has been a fuck machine. Much like yeah, his right up until the moment that we hear the sound of the Mr. Softy truck and Larry completely loses his mojo. And Jennifer is not happy about this. She's like, what's the problem? And Larry's just looking out despondently at the truck. And she's like, come on, Mr. Softy. Yeah, very mean. Nice. Very mean. Nice. Very mean, but but very funny. Yes, it works so out. I, I say I say funny overrules mean in this situation. Yes, I agree. And I think she I think she earned it. Funny always over, goes over me. I, I use I remember uh, like usually, usually when we were in high school, um, like when we were like in 11th grade, I would sit in class and I would actively think to myself, like, I have two choices right now. I can not make this obnoxious, sarcastic comment that I have in my head. And my teacher will like me and everything will go fine. Or I can make the comment. Everyone in the class will laugh. The teacher will get mad and kick me out of class. And I would say it every single time. Yeah. But I'd openly think in my head, like, okay, if I do this, the kids won't think anything. The teacher will be fine with me. If I go the opposite way, the kids will laugh, but the teacher will hate me. And then I'll get a worse grade. And then I would do it anyway, every single time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, at least you were uh, making a conscious decision. That's that's something. (laughs) Does that make it worse? Kind of makes it worse. Um, no, you had a, you had an agency. I think that makes it better. Okay, fine. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, so not, not when I was explaining going... my report card to my parents. Right. Um, so Larry's going to head over to Yari's auto shop, uh, ostensibly to pick up his car. Hey, Yari. Oh, hey, hey, how's it going? It's great. Good. So, um, Good. is the car ready? Let me check. By the way, great game yesterday. You pitched really well. It's not ready. It's not ready? How come it's not ready? You said it was going to be it's ready. not ready. I said it's not ready. Is it almost ready? Um, I think half, half ready. <laughs> half ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? I guess I made an error. Yeah. You know what I did? Okay. I dropped the ball. Uh, no big deal. You didn't fix my car because right. I made an error? No, what are you, 12 that. years old? What are you? 90 years old? <laughs> you let the ball go through your legs. The whole season is a complete waste of time. It's a softball game. It's a softball game. You don't understand because you're not the Steinbrenner. Oh, yeah. I am the Steinbrenner. You're the Steinbrenner. I you're not Steinbrenner, Larry. Really? Steinbrenner. Major League Baseball team. You own the 12 t-shirt. You are his autonomics. You disgraced. You disgraced my business. Steinbrenner always say, he say, winning is the only answer. He says winning all day, every day, or go away. I'd like the car. You'd like the car? Yeah. I'd like my championship back. Give me the keys. You are fired, just like that's what George would do. Take your car. Give it to me. I'll fire your Your car car is fired. fired. Take your fucking car. Here is your key. Here is your key. I never want to see you or your key wearing my name on your shirt again. I won't wear your name on my shirt again. That's a promise. Don't disgrace me. Get out of my Yaris. Get out. Buckner, go Buckner yourself. Uh, That's truly one of the things that makes Curb great is that what angry it's authentic in the way that they like stumble on words or like mix up phrases like mix up expressions like say the wrong thing um because like they're because like they're angry they're worked up they're flustered um i love that i love i love the way he's just like he's just like so 
lost his shit. Uh, it's so entertaining. Yeah, I love those uh, those classic Jordan Steinbrenner quotes that we get from Yari that he certainly said all the time. <laughs> winning the only way or go away. <laughs> winning is the I love what I love what Larry's like. You own all you own is twelve shirts. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't even own the shirts. He uh, gave them to his uh, players. Yeah, this is this reminds me very much of when um, Jerry goes to see his mechanic. Um, so like here, we have Larry telling him, "What's the big deal? The error is fine. Uh, yeah. the, the mechanic's like the error is not fine." Um, yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to head over to the Regency Hotel for the uh, baseball memorabilia show and. Larry's telling Leon about how he, you know, he got his car back from Yari worse than it was before. Like the front seat is like rattling like crazy. And um, Larry uh, tells Leon that, you know, he's going to go get uh, the tickets and he'll be right back. Uh, but unfortunately, when he heads over, the gatekeeper tells him tickets are all sold out. There's none left. And he comes back to tell Leon and Leon's like, let's see about that. And he takes on, he takes out those glasses from his pocket. He puts them on his face and he gives it a shot. And he goes over, he talks to the gatekeeper, seems to be, you know, working his magic. And suddenly, Leon and the gatekeeper hug and calls Larry in. And Larry's just like completely in awe. Can't believe it worked. I will say, um, Leon's so- been doing a good job of being persuasive to uh, white people since we first saw him seasons ago when he wasn't even wearing glasses. Yeah. So, like, what's interesting is that we've seen him do this exact thing. I could only think of one time before, and it, it was with the uh, Joe Pepper, Joe Pepitone jersey. jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So so it could be that just like Leon has this a superpower when it comes to sports memorabilia mm. that he's able to just like get people to give up the goods. I don't yeah. know why that would be, but that's what that's where it seems to um, come into play thus far. Yes. So I guess we could monitor that. Um, so, yeah. So Larry claims that this, this idea of his is better than anything that the civil rights leaders have ever come up with. <laughs> and Leon agrees. I have overcome. Goddamn right. Mm hmm. Um, so they split up. Larry goes to see Mookie Wilson to get his autograph, and Leon wants to go over to see Joe Pepitone. So that's kind of random that um, Joe Pepitone comes up in uh, this situation. Um, so yeah, so Larry uh, goes to get online, and he sees that the guy who's like last online that he gets on is Doctor Thurgood. And Doctor Thurgood is, um, you know, he says, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm usually a Cubs fan, but I'm I'm attracted to hopeless cases." Uh, Larry's like, "Oh, you know, you mean like me? I guess." And uh, the, the therapist goes on to tell Larry that, you know, when I was a teacher, um, you know, you know, when you were a kid, you know, you sometimes you see your kid in the, your teacher in the store. And like, that's when it clicks on you that like your teacher exists outside of school and like they're a person. And Larry's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously, this. Uh, so it's interesting. I watched this episode twice. The first time I kind of like glazed over that exchange. And ended up hating the therapist much more in this episode than I eventually did. He's still extremely hateable. So, like, don't get me wrong. We'll still have plenty to bash on the therapist. But when he sends Larry a bill later in the episode, I think it's important to note that he's told Larry, like, please, like, I don't want to talk. Like, this is not the right time and place to talk about your situation. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, we do or, you know, we do the same thing as lawyers. Like, if we run into a client socially, but they end up talking to us about business, I think, you know, we might enter that time. I mean, it depends on the relationship, obviously. Yeah, but. I mean, also, like, in this situation, like, he literally talks to him for, like, 90 seconds, and then he bills him for an hour. Well, like, yeah, the fact that he rides up to the hour, yeah, we don't do that. Like, we, if you, we but even up if you saw minutes. someone 
and they like and you like and you talk to them for two minutes like randomly I, like i wouldn't bill someone for that well obviously it's not. just like yeah. so it's like so immaterial and yeah, like yeah, obnoxious yeah yeah like it's yeah. better like and also it's like what like what, to get like what eight like how much money are you getting you're gonna get 20 bucks from them like, yeah the dr thurgood well, uh, much like a prostitute it doesn't matter if you're satisfied yeah. in two minutes <laughs> he, he rounds he rounds up you pay by the hour you pay by yeah. the hour uh-huh. it's like it's like on uh, you know some people when it comes to um you know waiting in between eating milk and, and meat so some people wait six hours and there are people who wait into the sixth hour so it's like once the sixth hour has begun you're good mm. that's yeah. what we do. i personally wait yeah i wait into the hours hour. into the first hour yes into the first um, hour. Yeah. But it's all Mishkas. Yeah. If only we were from Holland. Um, yes, correct. Um, okay. So Larry goes on to explain, you know, the whole thing with Mr. Softy, the baseball game. And um, Larry's like, it's like, you really want to talk in the line? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> he tells them all about the theme and like he was in Jennifer's apartment. He couldn't. couldn't he yeah. Was, so I think it's before. pretty clearly established that Dr. Thurgood is treating this as a session. Yeah. At this point, he's like, OK, I guess like, like I, I told you multiple times, like, I don't like I don't want to do this. But like, yeah, if you're going to insist that like, yeah, OK, then like, sorry, asshole, you're going to get a bill. But again, the hour thing, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, how he could perform. And she even called him Mr. Sosti. And Dr. Thurgood says, listen, I think what you're what you're doing is like you're trying to do too much at once. Don't try to do too much at once. You're getting in your head. Um, You know, I once had a different patient. Um, He played guitar. Before we get there, that's that's terrible advice. And that makes no sense. What is Larry trying to do? Have sex and block out a a, like like, it doesn't make any sense what he says at all. Um, but I th- yeah, I mean, I think like a better version of what he's maybe trying to say is just like, don't think too much. Like you're like you're getting all in your head, just like just like turn yeah. like, you know, go on autopilot like it'll yeah. be fine. But that's not especially for introspective people that like, you can't like the point is he's trying to not think about it. But he, all he can think about is a stupid song. So don't think about it. it doesn't seem like yeah. that helpful of advice. Yeah, no. I guess. Right. Don't get upset. <laughs> Good advice. Thank you. I will pay you five hundred dollars an hour. Yes, <laughs> always works. Um, yeah, but hold Relax, on. Well, I interrupted down. you as you. He has an example to support this uh, a citation. Yes, he has an example. He had another yes. patient. Uh, he happened to have played guitar for the band Grand Funk Railroad. Mm. Uh, Dr. Thurgood immediately realized that he's just out of the identity of his patient. Yeah. He's, and he says, well, I can't say his name, but then he realizes, well, I may as well say his name because I've already said that he's the guitarist for yeah. Grand Funk Railroad and you can easily look that up. So fine. It's Mark Farner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he once advised Mark that he of course, later focus on he'll do the opposite, right? When he when he says, oh, yeah, he directed yeah. Star Wars, he'll say, well, I didn't say his name. Directed <laughs> Star Wars. Right. That that yeah. information is harder to find out than who played the guitar for Grand Funk Railroad. That's a much easier yeah. piece of information to access. Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty well known. Right. Yes. Like Grand Funk Railroad, like like obviously you can look it up on Wikipedia, but like let's say this was 10 years earlier, like you might just be like, oh, I don't know, and then like you'll know, forget about it. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, oh, it's the guy who directed Star Wars, like yeah. everyone immediately knows who that is. And like now you yeah. just know that fact. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that he, he liked to frequent process. Now, now so Dr. Much. Thurgood's behavior here with these HIPAA violations, this is straight out of the rabbi from Seinfeld, right? And Elaine, uh, pretty Elaine saying, I didn't know a rabbi can have a big mouth is the same thing yeah. as like a shrink having a big mouth. It, it's just insane. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is not good for business at all. Yeah, I mean, a shrink is obviously like a, a shrink. A, a psychiatrist <laughs> or a psychologist, whichever one he is, is obviously much worse for them to be doing it than the rabbi. I don't think the rabbi actually has confidentiality like legally, does he? Yeah, for sure. He does? Because it's like he's doing I mean, his role it, of a therapist? 
well, I mean, for sure, it's not admissible in court. Like if you tell something to a priest or a rabbi, like you killed someone, they're not allowed to. But hold on. Is that confession in any context? Like I understand, like within Catholicism, we have a confession. But I think if you in their capacity as like a pastor, you you tell something to them. I think they're, that's not admissible in court because it's not. I think that's a protected hmm. disclosure, hmm. much like if you told something to a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah, but see, that's what I'm saying. I didn't know that it was the same, that the pastoral relationship was the same as attorney client so, I mean, privilege. For, or- for sure, if you do it in confession, I mean, that's like a yeah. thing that. Happens. No, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but so, why would it be any different if you told it to like your rabbi and like? Because confession, like, the, the the design of confession, is that you go and you and you and you share your sins with this person. Like you confess. Like yeah, if that okay. was admissible, then, nobody would ever do conf- would ever do confession. Right, but then now, if that was if that was protected and a, a Jewish one was not, then that would be completely privileging the practices of one religion over another. But now, I don't because yeah. your religion. But no, but if you if you like just talk thing. if you talk to a priest in any circumstance outside confession, I would say it could be admissible. The, your intent there was I, I don't not, think so. I think yeah. if it, I think if it's in the capacity of like a congregant pastor. No, I'm not saying what the laws. I'm saying what okay. I think to me would make sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's what it is. That people are supposed. We want people to be able to speak freely. I don't know why. Yeah. Like I would say, if you told your rabbi that you murdered someone, he should go tell the police. Yeah. Like I don't know why we need to protect like that. Protect that. Well, that would yeah. protect that relationship as much as I would protect like a psychiatrist, where you really it's, it's important. But hold on. By what you're saying, Elaine Elaine could have sued the rabbi then. Well, I I don't know how how suing works for that. It's just it's it could be protect. Yeah, I guess I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, infliction of emotional distress. I don't know. Violation. Yeah, of, sure. She should have fired Jackie Childs. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, so his advice to him was that he should only focus on playing the important notes. And that's what Larry should try. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's important exactly. notes. It's something it sounds it sounds good. Hey, guys, I'm like, only going to play the of- chorus. Yeah. Dr. Thurgood to me seems like a worse. Uh, okay, it means it's like you're you're trying you're trying to yeah, focus no, on I, things. Don't be a better therapist than Dr. Thurgood. Although if you are, <laughs> that just proves my point that he's a terrible therapist and a bad communicator. Yeah. Um, so Larry's very unsettled by his this obvious breach of doctor patient confidentiality. He's yes. like, "Have you ever talked to anyone about me like this?" And he's like, "No, no, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> I want this patient. He created Seinfeld." Yeah. yeah. Um, and Larry notices that Bill Buckner is at the booth and he goes over to talk to him and he tells Bill Buckner how he had this incident, the baseball game, and it's exactly what, what you went through at the World Series. Now, of course, the only difference is that you did it on TV in front of billions of people and mine was meaningless, but of course the same. Um, and like, how did you get through it? How did you deal with the disappointment? And Bill tells him, listen, you got to get on with it. All you can do is you say you give it your best shot and these things happen. Good now that's good advice. He, yes. he should be the therapist. Yes. Um, well, he, Larry, he's, he's basically had 20 years of, of like, you know, learning the experience. Yeah. So Larry, uh, like, hey, like I would be, it would be great if we could like go talk for a minute. Like I, I really want to like pick your brain about this because I'm really you know going through a thing. And um, like he's like, sure, like we can go. I'm going, you know, I was going to take my lunch break. Bill Bucker, who doesn't know who Larry uh, is, Larry's like, is like, yeah, I'll, right, I'll spend yeah, a much time like, with the person who wants sure. to compare that. Yeah, it's completely <laughs> insane. Um, Larry's like, oh, the only thing is like I would go, but like I have to wait online to get this autograph from Mookie. And he's like, oh, no problem. I'll get it for you. He owes me one, which is pretty good. That's good now, thing. of course, Buckner and Mookie Wilson in, in real life 
co-sign all the time uh frame like yeah, photograph like the photo of that of that play of that moment yeah and i remember that buckner used to be criticized in the pre-2004 era by you know boston red sox fans for that reason like oh you're profiting off this which go fuck yourselves he's a, yeah you know, <laughs> but I, but i do remember that being a thing that they were mad like red sox fans were mad about the fact that he sold autographed versions of his air yeah um yeah go fuck yourself is correct like <laughs> Who gives a shit? I mean, like, I'm sure I would be annoyed if like somebody did like I wouldn't like that player, but yeah, whatever. but but, but like, you would acknowledge like real that you're being a fan, like, you're being money. stupid. You know I guess, I mean? yeah, like I mean, yeah, like if Armando Benitez was like selling, like, oh, here's the I'm gonna autograph the ball that like I gave up the, the you know the game tying home run in the World Series, I'd be like, what a fucking asshole. But like, yeah, yeah I wouldn't think that like I actually have like a good case against him. <laughs> like he's allowed to do whatever he wants to like make yeah. money on the side. And yeah. like I would also do shit like that if I could. Like people yeah. are like, oh, there was that epically bad episode of Pretty Pretty Gerb, and there was something like an NFT of it. Now I'd be like, okay, sounds great. Give me some money. Um. So yeah. So Larry's telling Bill about how he just saw this new commercial with Michael Jordan having a Hitler mustache. I don't yeah. know what this is about. I don't know why. Oh, you don't? Here. This was a Very huge random. thing. Michael Jordan was in a Haynes no, commercial. No, he was on an airplane. I know. No, yes, yes, yes. I know. Yeah. I know what it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm just like surprised that they just like threw this in as like a thing. Oh, I love that because that. that was a thing that like <laughs> me and my friends were talking about at the time. Yeah, it's it's just very random. Yeah, you know what's also very random for Michael Jordan to decide to rock a Hitler mustache in a Haynes commercial. <laughs> yes, agreed. And and think uh, now, do you think there's something slightly meta about right? It's um because basically, you know, so I'm Keith Hernandez, of course, which we had in the beginning of our episode here. That was basically Michael Jordan saying, "I'm Michael Jordan," right? I can do whatever the fuck I want. Oh, no one's had this mustache <laughs> since 1940, since 1939. Watch me. Except except the worst person in history, literally. Yeah. But I think, but like pre Hitler, everybody had it. Charlie Chaplin had it. Like you know, right. the toothbrush toothbrush mustache was a thing in the twenties and thirties. It just Hitler ruined it. Yeah, I was thinking that I bet the the way it's, they got some argue the it's the worst thing that, Hitler ever did. Yeah, La- I bet Larry was asking Bill Buckner about his mustache. Like they were talking about Bill Buckner. He was like, he's like, oh, what's it like having a mustache? Like you have to groom it. And like then they got on to talk about mustaches, and then he's like, oh, that reminded him of the the Michael Jordan commercial where he has the Hitler mustache. Oh, that. Oh, and you're you're you're, you're doing Hazara of their relationship. You're saying or the yeah, conversation. I'm going back 30, 30 seconds of what. They, yeah, I I bet they were they were talking. He asked him something about the mustache. That's how they got on the. Well, subject. so let's get to that for a second. Uh, so Buckner, whose mustache one could also could almost argue is, is Stalin esque. Stalin, by the way, killed more people than Hitler, but did not kill off a, a mustache form the way Hitler did. Um, but uh, Bill Buckner looks like an average 50-year-old mustachioed white guy. He doesn't like stand out, certainly not in New York City, but he's walking down the street and every single person recognizes him immediately. Um, yeah, so like how it's interesting that you made mention that because so like how would you compare hit this to the phenomenon of Jeff Kent's um, not being recognized on Survivor? Because I feel like you were on the opposite side of that there. Jeff Kent looked like an average 50 year old white guy with a mustache, but he had right. also been an MVP within the last decade of being on the show. So anybody okay. who was a sports fan would know who he is. Whereas Bill Buckner, this is 27 years later in another city, right? In Boston, right. I think it's possible for Buckner to be recognized. But in, in yeah. um, and also Jeff Kent is a more distinctive looking person than Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner looks so average to me. 
Yeah, I think Jeff can't look super average, too. I think he looks like a dentist. Uh, but uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. You, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, Bill Buckner is definitely less, uh, less gettable, but yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it makes no sense that people on the street are like, oh, that's Bill Buckner. Although it could be like, this is literally he's walking out of a an event like they could have been at the event or where the event they might much more likely to be big oh, baseball fans they might okay. they may specifically know Maybe. that bill buckner was there yeah which is like everywhere he's very easy to yeah. recognize but yeah yeah but yeah this is like right outside the hotel but anyway yeah. fine yeah that, that's that's fair um so yeah so they're walking down the street and people are yelling at buckner larry defends him and he's like yeah don't worry about it. this happens all the time yeah and larry invites bill to come if you, you know will you come see this broadway show with people <laughs> called next to normal um, which is a rock musical uh, that centers on a mother who struggles with worsening bipolar disorder and the effects that managing her illness has on her family. That sounds terrible. The musical Sorry. addresses grief, depression, suicide, drug abuse, ethics, and modern psychiatry and the underbelly of suburban life. It sounds like a fun night. Yeah, I don't theater. know why. Yeah, I don't know why this. Like Last week, Larry was best friends theater. with this inventor and his wife and goes everywhere with them. Mm-hmm. This week, he's just best friends with Bill Buckner. <laughs> Larry makes fast friends in New York. That's what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. For him. Yeah. Yeah. He's like laying down roots. He's got a psychiatrist. He's got a mechanic. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah. See, he's in the middle of. Uh, I thought I thought we've discussed earlier on Curb that you never want to change psychiatrists because like they know your whole backstory and then you have to go through it all. Remember, like during the with the banana hammock. Richard is discussing this and Larry's discussing this, right? Yeah. And. Yet here, Larry must have just come up with a new therapist in New York in just a couple of weeks, right? It seems so. Yeah, it seems like he obviously had a, a pressing concern because he yeah. seems to have gotten a, uh, a psychiatrist up, lined up pretty quickly. All right. So are we going to see Hesh now? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, they're walking down the street and they uh, they get approached by what I'm going to argue is a very wicked man. A wicked man? Very wicked man. Could I interrupt you for a minute? Listen, I got an emergency. Are either of you gentlemen Jewish? Not me. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm... Well, listen, I have a problem upstairs. We're doing a Kaddish, and we need one more guy for fill out the minion. What's a minion? A minion. When, 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 a Jew, when a Jewish person dies, you need to have ten men in a room to say a prayer. Take ten minutes. Tom. You know, I got my friend here. You could here. come along. It's a free lunch. You could have a little sandwich while you're watching it. <laughs> free lunch? Yeah, it's an emergency. We got to get to the cemetery. What do you think? Have you ever had Jewish food before? Uh, Kopex gave me some kitschka one time. <laughs> so uh, okay, okay. we could go then. All right, fine. Come yeah, on, let's go. Great. Right. Um, so well, yeah, so to me, one of the one of the, the worst people in the world are the people that cost you and demand that you join a minion with them. <laughs> it's horrible. Right, like no. you're just like trying to enjoy. You're trying to enjoy yourself. Um, you're at a ball game. People are like, oh, we're making a minion. We need a 10th. Like, do I go into like a shul and be like, hey, we, we want to play baseball. We need a 10th person. Come play. Yeah. I only need nine in baseball, but yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, Time yeah. So that, that's Jerry Adler who plays Hesh in The Sopranos. And again, he, like yeah. Fred Malamed, just like this all time great like Jewish character actor who, uh, you know, curbs really uh, pulling them in from all the five boroughs, it looks like. Yeah. He's also excellent on both The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Mm, yes. Really, he is a great character actor. No, he's great. Um, but but I choose right, so, yeah, so I gonna... choose to believe that he's playing Hesh in this scene. Oh, okay, yeah, he's Minion Man number one, I believe. On the uh, yeah, there, there, are you familiar with the very uh, famous Minion Man song? Won't you stay with us? 
for Shabbos. So won't, won't, you, won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? Yeah. yeah. It's about a, a man who gets stuck in uh, Mobile, Mobile, Alabama. Alabama. And he, of course, he yes. ends up becoming the Minion Man for this neighborhood that they were they were one short of a Minion, um, which which I guess we should explain is for, for whatever reason. I honestly don't even know. Um, you require 10 people to like conduct. Uh, yeah. Well, Larry, know, well, well, Larry explained service. what it is. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, the song tells the story of a man who becomes the minion man in this town. Well, uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll drop it at the end of the episode. We will. Okay. Yeah, why not? Yeah, it's a great song. I'm a big fan. Schlock rock. Have you have you heard the like the 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 modern or the modern version with the, um what's the Wyo Acapella group that everybody likes with Mac with with the Maccabees? Yeah, the I Maccabees. saw that. Yeah, 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 it's a great video. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like the old school one, the original. Yeah, I like the old school one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, let's uh let's head to the Shiva minion. Yes, okay. News, the minion is complete. Nice Jewish gentleman has volunteered. Thank you very much. I'm Pleasure. going to give you both. Uh... Sorry about whatever happened. I don't really know, but somebody obviously <laughs> died. We all have to go at some point. In, uh... Excuse me. What? Did no, you just happen there? Hopefully there's an afterlife. The, con- the well, continuity error? You never know. Crazy. No, well, what happened? Hesh? Hands the keeper to Bill Buckner, and then the ca- uh-huh. and then we see the camera switches to behind them, and Bill Buckner standing without a keeper, and then Hesh hands it to him. So basically, they showed the same like three seconds twice, the same two, thing twice consecutively. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Two things, right? <laughs> Terribly sorry. Uh, are you Bill Buckner? Yeah. Herman here is from Boston. He's a big Red Sox fan, and he can't be in the same room with Bill Buckner. I'll have to ask you to please leave. I'm terrible. Are you sorry. serious? I'm really... Are you for real? October 1986. Jesus Christ. Two outs. Larry, don't worry about it. Hey, hey, they can't help themselves. Yeah, don't you're damn right. Yeah, we can't help ourselves. Don't yeah. let the door go through your legs on the way out, Buckner. Sure. I only regret I can't ruin your sure. life before you leave. Hey, you won two world championships since then, huh? Should have been three. three. Come on. It should have been three. Should have been three. Let's go. Don't worry about it. I don't want to be your stupid minion anyway. Stupid minion. How about that? My uncle died. I hope there is no afterlife. I hope there's no afterlife. Sorry, hey, Larry, what about the Kishka? Ah, the hell with the Kishka. Come on. What about the Kishka? I don't think you'd get Kishka to Shiva. Yeah, I've like never that. seen Kishka to Shiva. <laughs> so, yeah, so Herman the Angry Boston Minion Man is played by Peter Gross, who is the guy from the Sonic commercials, among other things. But, yeah, Buckner saying what about the Kishka might be my favorite moment. <laughs> um, okay, so we go over to... Jeff and Susie's apartment, and um, well, let's just straight into it. Um, yeah, look, Jeff is uh, sorry, Bill is still just like hanging around with Larry for some reason all day long, which, yeah. is, not, which is not at all clear. Yeah, are we watching another clip? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you just watch the whole episode? Hey. Yeah, Come on this episode in. is almost close. Hey, friend of mine, you might know him. Does he look familiar? Very familiar. Who? See, that's the Mr. correct Bill reaction. Buckner. Bill Buckner. Yeah. Oh my God. Welcome, Bill Buckner. Yeah, if you pull that, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Come on in. How are you doing? Played for the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Red Sox. Anybody else? Yeah, a little bit. Angels. Angels too. Yeah. How about that? This view, awesome, unbelievable. We met at a baseball card show. What are you doing at a baseball card? What was I doing uh, Because somebody has a loving wife, and I picked up a little something for uh, somebody's birthday. Come on, let me Guess see. Guess whose name is on let there. Let me see. Guess whose name. Guess whose name? name is on there, huh? Who's your babe? Mookie Wilson? Yes. 
Oh, my God. You have the oh, most thoughtful wife you. in the world. Thank Listen, you. It wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to the <laughs> show. And... Yeah, it was my idea. Yeah, I, I did go pick it up. But it was my idea. See. Huh? Oh, you want to see it? Let me see it. Let me see it. Fuck, catch. What? What are you doing? What the fuck? Oh, hey, sorry. What happened? Sorry. Oh my God! I missed it. I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of the street, Larry. What the hell were you doing? What? No. Why'd I... you throw it to him? I, you know, I was just. I thought you were hey, a professional. A you couldn't even catch. It was a horseshit throw. No, well, it was a horseshit catch, also. Hey, fuck. It <laughs> was a good throw. <laughs> hey. It was Mookie Wilson, Mookie fucker. Mookie Wilson. What yeah. Did, what did Mookie do? All you hear is oh, a shitty ground ball. Get out of my house. Get out of both of you. You ruined uh, the gift. Hey, Larry, that's a horseshit shit. Come on, sing your hands. How could you miss that ball? Are you serious? Shit happens, Larry. Shit happens. I thought you were a baseball player. You can't catch a goddamn toss. I, that's, it's it, it's fun there to see that Susie doesn't turn on Larry for one of the rare times. Yeah, she's like completely team Larry that he was a perfectly fine throw. This is Which is insane. It's a hundred percent Larry's fault here. <laughs> It's 100% Larry's fault for like, yeah, you just like throw something to somebody. with. It's the, this is like, the exact same as Elaine throwing the grape juice bottle at the anti-abortion mover. By the way, uh, would you like to discuss abortion <laughs> for the next hour? Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to pass on that. Yeah. To be so fair, we were actually discussing constitutional yeah. law, not abortion. But anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so Elaine throws a grape juice glass bottle at a guy who's not expecting it. And Larry throws a baseball in front of an open window at a guy who's not expecting it. Whether or not Buckner could have had quick enough reaction to catch it, like he doesn't know there's a ball coming. Right. Yeah, it's a very stupid thing for Larry to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so um we're with Larry and Jennifer on another date, and it seems like they've had a wonderful time. And Larry wonders whether she drank enough to want to go back to his apartment. And she seems to be totally up for that. And he assures her he's gonna bring it tonight. He warns, however, that his car has a problem with the seat that's been rattling, and she's like. That's fine. That shouldn't be a big deal. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we're just going to have to jump right into another clip because I'm not going to describe this. We're going to uh, we have to just uh, provide it. I actually think I'm going to do very well tonight. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm just uh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'll put the TV on. We'll start watching TV as if we're going to watch TV. But I'm really going to try and put moves on you while we're watching TV. That's sort of how I do it. You're not allowed to just say, hey, let's have sex. You gotta go around it like, like you're doing something else. So you fool the woman. Yeah. It's like a magic trick. It's sleight of hand. The TV kind of diverts your attention from what's what the real agenda is. Although, does it really? I mean, you know and I know it. I don't know why we have to go through this charade. Anyway, uh, I don't know. You like? Uh, I got some mixed nuts. You like a mixed nut? Yeah, for sure. Uh, people like a mixed nut. Although, when I opened up the mixed nuts, they put some dried pineapple. Are you kidding me with the pineapple? It doesn't Dr. blend well that. with the pineapple is destroying these mixed nuts. For me, Uh-oh. give me a chip any day. Do you like chips? Do you yeah. like a good chip? Yes. Huh? Yeah. What about a dip? Do you like a dip as yes. well as a chip? Yes. Do you like a chip and a dip? Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, oh you know, yeah. bad news. I have no dip. Oh. I am so sorry. I am completely dipless. Oh, my God. Is this a parking space? This is my lucky day. Unbelievable. Would you mind driving me home? What? I'm kind of done. I think I need to call it a night. Drive you home? I mean, if it's okay. But why? I thought we were, you were in... I'm 
Yes. Come, yeah. come upstairs. I, uh, He's kind of ready for bed, you know? I'm ready to do the job. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. And, I, and look, I, I have this theory, you know, yeah. like for golf, when I have a bad round, my mm. next round is fantastic because I don't care anymore. I hit the low point, like I hit the low point the last time, and now I, I know that I stink, and when I feel I stink, I'm good. Well, let's go for it another night. I am done. I am completely dipless. Uh, Larry, the least aware person in, in the history of the world. <laughs> That's it. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's I mean, great acting by him to just keep going on and on while she's having this massive like orgasm right next to him without yeah. acting. He shouldn't. He shouldn't necessarily be anticipating that a woman is going to have, yeah. you know, a monumental orgasm from sitting in a car. Yeah. Um, so like that necessarily shouldn't be on his radar or something that could happen. But yeah, um, once it's happening, it should be kind of obvious. What's yeah. Happening. Great. Great acting on both parts. I think uh, here. Yeah. 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 So this way, is a, a real, a really iconic thing. Yeah. The the part of this that irks me, of course, is the very end of that uh, scene, which is Larry can't give up that parking spot. Right. If she wants to go home <laughs> at that point, you put her in a cab. Yeah, so maybe that's what he'll do. Well, yeah, we don't see the end of that scene, but I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he ends up doing. No, yeah, you can't out. go to that he car. Says, says, right in front of the building. He says, uh, pull he out. pulls out. Yeah. yeah. But look, this episode is the same problem. Yeah, that's Street, unfortunate. Is, it treats cars in Manhattan as if like no one in Manhattan actually does. So as right as like the right. It's although at least he at least he makes it a thing that it's like, oh, my God, I found the parking spot. Yeah. Well, um, as George yeah, says, so you find a spot see, uh, like that, you stay there for years. Right. <laughs> True. Um, so, yeah, so we see uh, Larry and Leon on the street and Larry's telling Leon all about what happened with Jennifer. And he's like, listen, I don't understand what happened. A man would never change his mind like that. And Leon also, he's like, it's, he's racking his brain. He has no idea. Um, Larry thinks maybe because of the impotence from the other night, he's being treated like a leper now. And Leon agrees. He says, you know, if you put a noodle into a woman, she's not going to like it. And Larry says, you are a remarkably idiot. You just said a remarkably idiotic thing. But, you know, the fact that you're wearing glasses, I perceive it as a little as a little less idiotic than I normally would. Mm-hmm. And as they're speaking, Larry notices that he's received a bill from Miss therapist and he realizes he was charged for talking to him on the line, which he thinks is outrageous. And he says, I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. And Leon is going along for the ride. So we head over. We're driving the car and Leon starts acting a little funny. And Larry's like, what's going on with you? And Larry and then Leon pauses and he realizes that he's figured it out that she was getting her rocks off in this chair because this chair is a fuck machine. Man cannot compete with machinery. <laughs> and Leon, Larry realizes that's why Jennifer didn't come upstairs. She was done. You're damn right. She was she was coming downstairs. And Leon says, you know, you got to keep her out of that chair. She's cheating on you with that chair. Hmm. So we head back into Dr. Thurgood's office where Larry and Leon are waiting for him as he uh, comes out to the waiting room. Um, I know I don't have an appointment now, but I got a bill in the mail today. Am I to understand that you charge me for talking to me online at the baseball card show? Is that possible? Well, yes, it is. (laughs) Dr. Thurgood, we spoke for all of three minutes. Well, let me just point out to you, Larry, that sometimes when people suffer with what I might call the more dramatic forms of narcissism, they have a hard time gauging how long they've been talking about their problems or themselves. Are you saying I'm a narcissist? Larry, maybe I can help you understand uh, this way. I had a client. He was uh, quite an illustrious, well-known director. I don't want to reveal who he was, but he did direct Star Wars. And he (laughs) enjoyed, in his repertoire of things that he liked, to see prostitutes. Now, in that particular situation, 
If he were to hire a prostitute, let's say for an hour, which was normal for you him. You might as well call him George Lucas. I mean, that's who directed Star Wars. Uh, well, I would never say that. I would never say that. Well, you just told me who it was. <laughs> I merely alluded to the fact that he was a well-known director. Now, for one of the things that he needed to complete his work, it was important Everybody knows who directed Star Wars. <laughs> well, not everyone is in show business now. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. My point is... Uh, yeah, I, God knows what you're saying about me. No one asks about you. I didn't ask about George Lucas, but you just brought him up. <laughs> I merely said a well-known director, and here's my point. He used to frequent prostitutes, and very often, he would hire them for an hour, which was their minimum, but it only took him three or four, maybe five minutes to complete the shot, if you understand what I'm saying. However, they considered it fair, and he considered it fair, to pay them for the full hour. That was the way they did business. First off, I'm appalled by what you just said to me. He has a right to do what he wants. He's an adult. It's supposed to be confidential. Well, You're not is. supposed to be telling people. It's merely my way of illustration. My point is that people need various things to help them function. And my hope was that I was doing that for you. Well, it's good to see you. Yes, and uh, congratulations, Doctor. I, I think you've stumbled upon the perfect analogy for exactly what you do. Well, it's somewhere between a hobby and a profession for me, just as it is for them. Mm -hmm. Good seeing you. Okay. It is weird that he voluntarily compares himself to a prostitute. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, I, I, he's, this is like a legendary character to me. It's just, it's so good. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, the, just like the, the smugness and the like, I merely said that he was yeah. a well-known director. <laughs> yeah. Now, now here's the, I, I was trying to Google it. I couldn't find an answer. Has George Lucas ever been asked about this? Like, is it a joke? Is what's his relationship with Larry? Like many people will take that as a joke and laugh, but some people would be uptight and probably annoying and angry about it. And I'm just wondering if George Lucas has ever been asked about it or reacted to it. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Cause like, yeah, I mean, definitely he hasn't like, been George on Lucas curb as far as I know. No. Right? Yeah. I mean, like this, like he kind of has like a defamation claim here. Like you're well, kind of saying no, that it's obviously he, a joke. But he, like, he could have made the joke about anybody. Let's say he, right? He could have made a joke about anyone, and let's say he does. Like, let's say this is true. So then, I, mean, I guess it's not defamation, but meaning it's like uh, I don't know. I guess Hold on. So you, you you think this is true about George Lucas? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just. I, I, no, I'm not saying that. I don't know. No, but I'm, I'm saying, saying but that. Do you think this is a thing? Because this is not a thing. This is a joke. I, I guess it's a joke. But like, wh like, why him? That's what I'm saying. Is he just a random person to just pick? You just, you know, like, why, if, why did if, you if pick the guy from Grand Funk Railroad for the last one? Right, right. So I think if, they if wanted to make about famous. me. I, I would, I might think that it's a joke, but also be confused as to why I was used for this joke. Yeah, and not and I'm necessarily happy about that. That's all mm. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, but I just um, I can't find anywhere on the internet that actually George Lucas was asked about this. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so Leon is not impressed. Um, so he tells Larry, "I'm going to put on those glasses again, and I'm going to go give it a shot." Larry is doubtful that this is going to work, but he says, "You know what's what's the worst that could happen?" So Leon takes the bill. He heads into Doctor Thurgood's office. A few minutes later, they come out together. They're laughing, and Larry is very surprised. Leon tells him that Doctor Thurgood just ripped that bill in half and threw it in the trash. And Larry can't believe it. This trick is working. It's a miracle. And Leon even hands Larry a baseball signed by Mookie Wilson. And Larry asks him, "Oh, did like Doctor Thurgood give that to you also?" And Leon's like, "No, I stole that." Yeah. Um, oh, didn't so we guess, already you know, see? Didn't we already see when he was Danny Duberstein, right? Yeah. Leon had glasses as, as, as Duberstein. Yes, he did. So, so it's funny that when Larry was like telling Leon, 
you know, that white people always uh, like black people more classes. He didn't say, like, remember the time that you did that to Michael Richards a, a year ago. Right. Right. And you almost and you almost got your ass kicked. So it turns out white people don't like you better. Well, no, but he sold them. He got them to invest. Remember, he gave him one hundred fifty thousand dollars to invest. Of originally, but then he realized that he was lying, and then he came and yeah, started but that's attacking only because him. that's only because Richards met uh, Duberstein's wife, right? Yeah, right. So it did work, right? Yeah, the, the, the glasses yeah. was the glasses yeah. worked. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what, what I'm saying. saying. Got yeah. it, got it. That's what you're saying. Okay, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, okay, but this so this this, we, this, uh, this interaction that we see between Thurgood and Leon, it's the reverse of the Kramer Reston interaction in Seinfeld, right? Remind me of that. Dr. Reston, Elaine can't break up with him because he won't allow it because he's also her therapist. Oh, yes. yes so yes, she yes, comes yes. in with Kramer and Kramer's job is to seize and to Right. He, he raised her. Yeah. And, right. But, but it gets right. And we're, yeah. you're ha- we're having we're having dinner on Thursday night. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is the reverse of that. There, Reston turns Kramer all the way around. But here, Leon with glasses, the most persuasive man on earth. Yeah. He, he flips Thurgood around, rips it up. Yeah. Rips up the check. Yeah, so Larry pulls up in front of Jeff and Susie's apartment, and Susie's like, she's, she's you know, in, very hysterical. She's talking about that she needs a ride to over to her sister's apartment because there's a fire going on there. And Larry's like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, she can't sit in the seat because of the rattling. And By the way, you know what the very like, easy answer is? Just say to Susie, sure, jump in. The front seat's broken. I have to get it fixed. I'm sorry. Sit at the back. Solves the entire yeah. problem. I mean, well, he, he does try telling her sit in the back. and she Yeah, but he gives no. stupid lies. Like, right. just tell the actual truth in the first place. Yeah. Um, she's like, oh, maybe you can drive. She's like, no, I'm in no position to drive. I'm hysterical. Um, finally, Larry's like, all right, go ahead. Mm. And uh, we're going to see how that goes. Look at Larry's face. So all of a sudden, Larry sees that Bill Buckner is there. Yeah, he's like, what are you doing here? Are we just going to zip right by the Larry noises and the Susie noises? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, I it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that could be the funniest scene of the, sh- of the show's history. I mean, like, I just can't imagine. By the way, the people who were in the room, I don't know. I guess they were in a car while filming it. Like, I don't know how you don't die of laughter watching the two of them like that. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So great. And then <laughs> is she all right? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <It's crazy. laughs> Um, so Larry looks over and he sees Bill Buckner is there because of course and he's just like yeah I was just going for a walk and I ended up in front of this building that was on fire yeah. and we've suddenly we realize that there's a woman that's trapped inside and she's definitely trying she's trying to save her baby and the crowd below is telling her that you know the firefighters have like laid out the, the mat and that she should throw the baby 
And she's hesitating. Finally, she decides to throw the baby. That must be very scary to throw your baby out the window and hope that that works out. I mean, well, I don't think they do that. With not babies. the ideal sitch. Yes. I think the odds of a baby surviving um, that are like yeah. zero. And the firemen catch the baby works, except the ricochet is so strong that the baby flies up in the air and to get the crowd gasped in shock. And we see the baby soaring through the sky. We see Buckner begins to run. He's lining it up to try to make the catch. And just before the baby falls to the floor, he um, he um, catches the catches the baby and saves the baby. And the crowd goes wild and the firemen carry him off on his shoulders. And he is a hero. Uh, this is a little embarrassing to admit. But um, I actually started crying a little bit when Buckner caught the baby on my most recent watch. <laughs> Yeah, it's very it's very intense. Like it's a real redemption moment. Yeah. Now, of course, the problem is that this is three years after they won the World Series or seven years after they won the World Series and he threw yes. the first pitch next season. Yeah. So he really yeah, had it, actually. But yeah. Yes. Um, what's funny is that he did. He like he immediately hands the baby back to the woman, which begs the question how she's got there so soon. Yes. Yeah. She's standing right really there. So yes. dire the she, must, she jumped in immediately. <laughs> like, why did she do that? <laughs> Well, Why I mean, did there, she just like walk out with the baby? Oh, just, yeah, there was a ladder. There's no way that there was time for her to jump. Yeah, of course. There was a ladder just a few yeah. feet to the left. Also, than when we see the building, so they oh, could have just moved the ladder. So maybe, over. She, so maybe she took the ladder. Yeah. And but they like, could have just moved the ladder, take over, a ladder. Yeah. And not. Yeah, but like, why could, why could like, yeah, she could also like go down the ladder while holding the baby. Probably that's probably yeah, safer yeah, yeah, than throwing the baby. N- nothing here. Nothing here makes sense. But yeah. Very yeah. Um, apparently, they also filmed or at least planned an alternate ending where he, he where he drops the baby, but then oh, they decided boy. that was too dark. Yeah. That's probably not. <laughs> Bill Buckner kills yeah, him. By I, the saw... way, I respect Bill Buckner that he was cool enough to say, "Yeah, you can uh, make me kill a child on television." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we have one final scene. We go back to the apartment. And Larry. Is lying next to Jennifer in bed, and it seems like it probably went at least decently. Um, and she says it was good. It was no risotto. She says, "What I would love to do right now is go for a really long drive." Yeah, and that's our episode. Yeah, to me, the 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 Bill Buckner catching the baby is such an iconic moment, such a high. The episode has to end there. This final scene ruins the perfect end- ending, I think. And it's for an unoriginal joke. Like we've, um, we've heard this it, joke it, in Seinfeld. It definitely undercuts a little. Um, I think it's a good joke. I think it's yeah. I think it's a worthwhile joke. I think it obviously is not good enough to override the ending. Yeah, um, but I do think it's a good joke. Yeah, but, um, but nevertheless, yes, it definitely should have just ended. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it is a little bit of that, like no, no hugging, no crying of Seinfeld, to just like to not end on like such a you know victorious high note, like feel good. But we still have the high uh, note. Yeah, it still happened. Yeah, yes, yeah. for sure. So let's go to our ratings. As we talked about this episode, rehabilitates Bill Buckner. We have the sports. Uh, we have the Judaism with the Minion Man, of course. Uh, we have the sex, uh, both uh, with the car and with Larry. So obviously, I loved everything about it. Um, there's more plots than like any episode of the series. I think the softball game, the broken car seat, Mr. Softy, the flashback, the therapist with the big mouth, Leon's glasses, the Minion, Bill Buckner. There's so many different plots, but everything comes together perfectly. Um, I would have cut the last 15 seconds. Um, I think other than that, yeah. it's nearly a perfect episode. I'm going to say it's pretty, 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 pretty. Good. So four and a half for me. I have it ranked number 13 so far of the 80 episodes we've seen. 
All right. Um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is one where, you know, we have uh, Rosh Hashanah coming up next week, um, but I'll borrow a, uh, an expression from the Passover holiday. Uh, I think the phrase Dayenu comes to mind with this ah, episode where yeah. there's just, as you said, this episode is just like so packed or like this episode could, could be a great episode just like built around just around the therapist. Like that could have been the main storyline of this episode. Um, you know, the whole Buckner thing, of course, is like could be its own episode. Like, but like this is the, remembered as the Bill Buckner episode. Bill Buckner doesn't show up until like 16 minutes in. Mm. Like there's a whole separate half of this episode with other stuff. There's so much going on. Um, such, such an you know, iconic, great episode for so many reasons. I mean, if you just had Susie with the orgasm like that, you'll be like a 5.0. It would have been enough. That scene. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is an easy 5.0 for me. Yeah, I give it pretty, 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 pretty good. Five pretties out of five. Full five pretty treatments. Um, so I would put too this, low? I think, as you my number too low episode. at four and a half? You could be whatever you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have this as my third direct episode after uh, the table read in Palestinian Chicken. I absolutely love this episode. Obviously, I have the extra, you know, 86 Mets connection that just makes it, a, you know, puts a little extra smile on my face as I'm watching this one. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's so much in here. There's, you know, just a, a really, really wonderful episode. Hmm. Um, all right. We'll have to wait and see if, uh, how our listeners do and where this fits into our overall top rated episodes. <laughs> Let's go to the come with guy. Do you want to go first this time? Sure. Um, I got to give my come with guy to Mr. Bill Buckner. Um, obviously, you know, he ends up being the hero of the episode saving the day, but like even more so like, you know, breaking the fourth wall, the fact that like he was like willing to come on like this ridiculous show and like play this version of himself and like poke fun at that and like be a sport about it. And like, I'll just, just like convey really good, just like come with attitudes. Like, you know, I'll, you know, sure. I'll do it. And like, I'm not, you know, I'll have a smile on my face and like, I'll give good advice to Larry um yeah i think he's an easy come with guy gotta give it to him yeah no there's i mean you know i appreciate leon's work with the glasses and so many of the other characters in this episode but yeah bill buckner easily gets it all right now let's uh go to the fucking asshole i'll go first this time yari roberts michael he's a piece of work obviously uh dr thurgood is a blabbermouth and a conceited prick but I'm going to go a little bit off the board here. I'm going to say Herman, the mass hole minion man. Like that guy's like a yeah, fucking piece of shit. Like <laughs> that guy's like irredeemable. Oh, no, this guy came oh. to like make your minion. Oh, no. You thought I meant the guy on the street asking for the minion. Yeah, that's right. No, no, that's no. Right. I'm saying Herman, the guy, the mass hole. Yeah. He's who's like, who's like, yeah. oh, stranger. Who's also with like world famous baseball player who stopped at my house to help make a minion for my uncle. They're about to go to the funeral, to the cemetery. They said none of that makes sense, but whatever. Forget <laughs> right. about that. Um, he's come to make a minion and he, or he to hang out with his Jewish friend while he makes a minion to help me and my family. But I'm going to decide to curse about because of, you know, yeah. So Herman is the worst. Seems unnecessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm going not too far off from you. I'm going to, you know, a, a, a close man. relative of your fucking asshole <laughs> is minion member number one yes. um, who accosts an innocent man minding his own business on the street and, you know, very loudly asks him if he's Jewish. And then when he says yes, he demands that he participate in some Jewish ritual, which this is actually a thing that people do on the streets of New York. They'll like yes. make you shake a lulav. Now, can I ask you a question? So Last someone, time. Good, good rule asked... of thumb. In, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, my good rule of thumb in life is if someone asks you if you're Jewish, um, don't say no because the best case scenario is that they're going to force you to shake love and put on put on fill in. Uh, the best, the worst case scenario is obviously worse. Um, oh, <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, but last time Larry was asked, "Are you Jewish?" by a fellow Jew on the street, he said, "Do you want to see my foreskin?" 
Yes, yes. Here, he was much more accommodating. Uh-huh. And it was pretty clear from the form of the question that like a minion with a question was coming, I think. Which is also which is also what Hiram Katz uh, said to Larry. Yes, I'm the real Larry deal. Had, Larry didn't yeah. appreciate it. Uh, he didn't appreciate it being said to him. Yes, you sure? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I have a, I have a, I have a friend who lives across the street from our shul, and people they would often like knock on his door for like the the evening service mariv, um, so because like they needed a minion. So like, he started like parking in his driver in his in his garage, so, so that uh, so they think he's not home. People, yeah. Yeah, because it's like it's very annoying. Like when like they're harassing you, it's like you want like like if I I know about you, well, I'll go if I want. Yeah, I remember once. Um, so on an airplane, there was uh nine men, and then they got I, this guy sitting right in front of me. I was under thirteen at the time, so I think they couldn't even accost me. I was not a man; I was but a child. Um, but there was a guy sitting the seat directly in front of me, and they came and got him. And they pulled him into the minion and he was obviously reluctant to be there. So he sort of like snuck out or whatever and came back and sat down. So they come back to pull him up again. And he, he was like an older guy, like in his 60s or whatever. And he gets up, he goes again. And then he comes back down and takes his keeper off. And I remember thinking like, you're not invisible now. Like, do you think like, it's like, oh, I took the yarmulke off. They can't right. find me now. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a cloaking device. Yeah, that's what it seemed like he was acting yeah. like. And so they came right back. And I was like, well, I don't have the yarmulke. I can't go back. Like. <laughs> Anyway, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm very yeah, anti people yeah, praying. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not convinced. Yeah. Yeah, it could be very disruptive. I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. So we both we took two. Uh, you took Minion Man number one. I took Minion Man number two for the asshole. Um, yeah, we're both we're both anti-Semites. Yeah. <laughs> we got all kinds of cameos. We just singled out the Jews. Yeah, we have <laughs> Robert Smigel and Anna Gasta, Eric Jerry Adler, Fred Malamed, Amy Schumer, Bill Buckner, Mookie Wilson. Obviously, those two, the most prominent two. Now, Mookie doesn't actually get any words in this episode, right? No, he's just there, which is it's which is yeah. interesting that he like what well, he's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll be in a show, but like they didn't give him speaking lines. Yeah, like, no, they might have also given celebrity. Lines. They might have given him lines. Yeah. 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 Now should we go to the postman? See what he's bringing us. Yeah. Postman! Postman, come here! Tell the neighborhood! What a shanda, Larry! Larry David! Larry, are you a lousy Jew? But you're a lousy human being! He screws the wife of a man in a wheelchair! A shanda! Maybe you should have given me some candy. You're a lousy Jew! Yeah, let's uh, just first remind everyone to head over to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe to us, rate us, review us, uh, all the fun stuff uh, makes the podcast do better. Um, how does that benefit anyone? Not really, but, you know, I guess it, it uh, stokes our egos a little bit. So if you want to do that, um, that'd be a nice thing to do. Um, and of course, if you have any questions for the podcast or feedback or you want to send in your rating for a podcast, you should feel free to do so. The easiest way to do that is to send an email to curbpostman at gmail.com, uh, which we have the address in the show notes as well. You could also, um, if you send me a DM on Twitter at Asinensky, that'll work as well. Um, and yeah, and then we'll read your question in the postman section of the episode, um, which we're going to head to right now. First email this week is from MJC, Michael J. Clark, who says, this is perhaps my favorite Curb episode. Buckner is great. Happy to poke fun at the 86 World Series. Bring it in. Glasses Leon is classic. Dr. Thurgood is the perfect one-off character. And Anna Gasteyer's performance in the car is top-notch. Plus Larry's reaction to Susie's wild ride, chef's kiss. I'm the Steinbrenner of this mailbag. Come with. Glasses Leon ekes out Buck. Fucking asshole is Yari. And he, of course, gives the episode five pretties. It would be funny if he said this is my favorite episode, then give it three and a half. <laughs> like, no, it's, I guess you don't like the show. 
Next up is Josh Schmitz, who says, hello, gentlemen. I really enjoyed the rewatch of this episode as well. There are many memorable moments that make it one of the best ones of the season. The actor who Yari was expertly casted as has an intense way of pep talking. His team cracks me up every time. I think we all know people like that who take these leisurely games way too seriously. The Mr. Softy storyline also weaves itself nicely in and out of the episode. Leon, Susie, and Asta, Anna Gestire's Jennifer are great too in some hilarious scenes. Come with Guy is Bill Buckner who takes all the heckling in stride and finally redeems himself at the end of the episode in a great ending. The fucking asshole is the therapist for his unintentional HIPAA breaking. He gives a rating of four pretties out of five. Unintentional is a little charitable. Seems like he knows what he's doing. He doesn't care. Uh, yeah, yeah. He seems. Yeah, it's like um, criminally, criminally negligent homicide. Where yes. it's like, okay, maybe you didn't do it on purpose, but like this is like so reckless that yeah. like we just have to just treat it the same. Yeah. Um, okay. We next hear from Jim Crumley, our good friend, who says a very good episode with some top not with some top notch guest stars and some great story around them. A clear fake stunt baby is perfect. Four and a half pretties. For this come with guy, he says, gotta go with the late, great Bill Buckner. His acting is not the best, but he can, but he had such a good attitude putting up with the storyline. Plus, he did some great coming with. On my favorite baseball sliding doors moment is if the Cubs had traded Leon Durham to the Red Sox instead of Billy B in 1984. Two famous blunders at first would have been averted. Interesting. <laughs> For his fucking asshole, he says, Yari. He says he was great and awful. And for many episodes, he would have been the come with guy. I may have to borrow from his words of wisdom or huddle breaks. <laughs> we next, of course, go to Jared Jerome, who says, hey, guys, sorry for missing last week's carpool lane, carpool lane, car periscope. Put me down four pretties for a crazy but funny and nice bounce back episode. And the trend continues as Mr. Softy was even better. Jam packed episode with hilarious moments, guest appearances and scenes. Both front seat orgasms had me dying, especially Susie's with Larry's reaction. Fred Malman was great as the pretentious HIPAA violating psychiatrist. Leon was on fire. There was also some great banter early on between Jeff and Larry at the Alfresco lunch. You can tell the past two episodes that these two are in lockstep with each other, just bantering and making shit up on the fly with real laughter. It's like they aren't even filming a show anymore. Greatness all around. Uh-huh. Random sightings. Amy Schumer was on Larry's football softball team. Standing behind when Yari is screaming obscenities to pump the team pregame, and then she calls him a douche walking off the field. Has from the Sopranos. We also get a double SNL package with both Robert Smigel and Anna Gastner. Seinfeld connections, lunatic auto mechanic. Yari has some similarities to lunatic auto mechanic Tony from 720. The bottle deposit. Larry's error was not fine. Nice. Me and Jared made the same joke. Um, Leon getting whatever he wants based on wearing glasses reminded me of when Jerry's beautiful girlfriend Nikki got whatever she wanted just based on her looks in the season 720 the calzone finally while at the card show Leon wants to check out Joe Pepitone what is Larry's obsession with Joe Pepitone it has to be his favorite player of all time there are three references to Pepitone in Seinfeld he was crowding the plate and Kramer had to plunk him at the Mickey Mantle fantasy camp according to Kramer while on Rusty he designed Central Park and number three, George pushes for Joe Pepitone's day at the Yankee Stadium when he's trying to meet John Voight. So he must be like Larry's favorite Barrett. player. Or maybe just it's a fun name to say something yeah. like that. Yeah, it is. A, it is a very fun name. Um, and then, yeah, we said, obviously, the, uh, the, the anonymous donor with the jersey as well. Um, we next go to sports analysis. First of all, why is Dr. Thurgood in line to get Mookie's autograph when he says he's a Cubs fan and Buckner is sitting right there? 
As a genius baseball fan, Jeff mentioned his Buck played for the Dodgers, Cubs, Red Sox, and Angels. And his best years were as a Cubby. Jeff on fire with his 70s baseball knowledge. First mm-hmm. 1971 Roy White. Now this, as for Buckner, of course, everyone knows about the famous error, but not everyone realizes how long and solid a career he had outside of that. He played four decades, accumulating 2,715 hits, an all-star game appearance, and a batting crown. For his come with guy, he says, usually the more hotly contested category is asshole of the week, but this episode is peppered with great come with guy options. Susie's on fire with the incredible orgasm scene and the way she, she'll even curse out Buckner, which she just met two seconds ago. Mm. Props to Gastire on a solid orgasm scene as well, and she really wanted to come with Larry whenever, wherever he went, as long as, it, it was, as that was the case. As long as it was in that car. Sorry. Uh, Buckner was great, a great sport dealing with all the heckling. He was even willing to come with to a minion just on the off chance he could get some Kishka. Great lad lib by Buckner there saying Koufax told him about the Kishka, all his Jewish knowledge in one fell swoop, and he made it work. And of course, he saved the baby's life with a great diving catch. He always was a better outfielder than first baseman. By the way, that can't be the way they save babies from fires. Um, yeah, they probably just don't save babies from fires most of the time. Finally, I love him because I'm a Mets fan. Buckner would win this award in probably over 70 episodes, but Leon was the second best he's ever been behind his Duberstein performance with a million lines that made me laugh. I stole it about the Mookie ball. Come upstairs, come downstairs, wordplay. Just straight fire from Leon all the way through as Buckner against glory snatched from him yet again. You might even say the come with guy went between his legs. <laughs> the asshole of the week. The problem here is I enjoyed the assholes this week. That's one of the reasons this episode was so good. Yari is screaming obscenities at the softball game and then bursting out Larry's car. But I was all I was there for all of it. Dr. Thurgood is blowing up the spots of celebrity after celebrity, being a total prick, narcissistic, pretentious jerk, giving a bad name to psychologists all over the world. But he was damn funny. His character was great. Any Orthodox Jews know how annoying it is when you are minding your own business at a ball game or amusement park and the minion man <laughs> somehow knows you're Jewish and asks you to be the 10th. So Hesh is an option here, but I'm going to go with the mass hall praying cohort who rejects the opportunity and obligation to honor mm. the deceased just because Bip Buckner was in the room. If this was pre-2004, it's funny. So it he picked mine, but his run-up was, was yours. So the two minutes. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Another the, 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 or, the, the orthos no, <laughs> spotted the assholes. Yeah. <laughs> but at this point, he got two championships with two more on the way. Get over yourself. Mass hall of the week. Mm. And for his ranking, he says, it's a classic, classic, great episode. I just realized with the extensive Jewish sports and sex content, this has to be Chester's top episode of the series. Well, I'm with him on this one. I have this gem ranked fifth of the 79 episodes so far. Good for a pretty, 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 pretty good. That's five pretties, zero, no pretties. Great stuff. Let's keep them rolling. All right. So very, uh, very high review from Jared. All right. We now turn to William Blake, who says, hey, Alex and Av, my name is Will and I bucketed it. You love to see the Steinbrenner culture alive and well in New York. It's got to be nice for Bill Buckner that Susie and Jeff knew who he was, but didn't know or mention the error. Then Susie turns on her charm. Yeah. <laughs> the therapist was in the right, giving him the bill. The come with guy is Liari's passenger seat, giving women free orgasms. Oh, wow. 2011. Nicely done. Good one. Good one. The fucking asshole is Dr. Thurgood. He may have been in the right with the bill, but the name dropping and general assholery cannot be contained. Five pretties out of five. This is one of my favorite episodes. You get sports, a Susie Cusfest, lots of Leon and Bill Buckner's redemption through line, capped by a Susie orgasm, a wild, satisfying ride. Looks like the car itself. Nice. Um, okay. We turn now to Zach Brooks, who says, I watched this right after I watched Goodwill Hunting. And between the therapy session and the former Red Sox player, it's a very good movie ladder connection. That's true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in uh, Goodwill Hunting, I have the other, the other big game six. He got the Carlton Fisco run off the foul pole yes. in game six yes. of the 75 series. Yes. Um, yeah, it's funny that for many years, like the two big uh, Red Sox moments were game six, the World Series. Mm. And probably many people also thought that was game seven. 
even though they do the Red Sox. But yeah, but then they don't win the World Series, so. Right, but yeah, it's just like it feels like oh, they they won it on that on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Susie, the orgasm share was so funny to me. Four point oh episode. Fucking asshole is Jeff for his behavior around the food split. Come with guy one hundred percent Leon. Oh wow. And finally, Olin Allen writes, not a quite a home run episode, more of a lucky round ball leading to an error, but Curb is still a championship winner with me. Plenty of nice set pieces. The whole glasses on black man did feel reminiscent of judging people wearing bow ties as well as Mr. Duberstein, but happy for repeats to get more Leon in, especially playing up a more sophisticated side. Enjoyed the various physical reactions with the bumpy scene, and the highlight of the show was probably Yari's great pre-match psych-up speech. Definitely would have worked for me. No other huge laughs, maybe apart from how obvious they made it that it was a doll being dropped and bouncing around, not looking for any obscure angles or zoom outs and a great transition when Buckner holds the actual baby. He gives the episode three and a half pretties out of wow. five. Come with guy is Bill Buckner as a character in the show, the ultimate hero saving the baby, though did wonder did the poor woman sacrifice herself in protecting the baby. But sacrificing your life isn't enough for the come with guy. The baseball <laughs> player is happy to play off his most infamous moments. Seems like a genuine good hangout buddy for Larry, too. And if anything, I thought he would have been a lot more popular in New York than getting constant insults from a series of Boston fans. <laughs> and finally, for his fucking asshole of the week, he says, teammate number two, played by Amy Schumer. I mean, I had no problem with her insulting Larry by calling him a douche, but she seems to rush back around and manage to walk past him a second time, calling him an asshole. Oh, so was it her both times? Well, she said, what a douche, what a douche. I didn't notice it was her the other time. I didn't notice either. That's why I was confused which one was her because there oh, was okay. another girl who's like a blonde girl who calls him an asshole. Yeah, so maybe I, that's why I was confused. I was Very committed to our insults, but no need to no need to overdo it. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we'll have to maybe check out the tape on that one. Um, okay, so that brings us out with our audience rankings, which we got. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, seven ratings this week from our audience comes out to an average score of four point four three. Very strong. That is the second ranked episode overall from our audience. And when you average in the 4.3 with Alex's 4.5 and my 5.0, that is an overall average of 4.64, making this the number six ranked episode of Kirby Enthusiasm through uh, 69 episodes. Uh, It's a very nice score. 79. Uh, 79, 79, yeah. 79, 79. And yes, yeah. right. Mm, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, very exciting. Next week, we have another very strong episode. It will be uh, Larry versus Michael J. Fox. Larry will accuse his neighbor, Michael J. Fox, of harassment. Jeff will take a bullet for Susie. Uh, Larry will be scolded for giving his girlfriend's son an inappropriate birthday present. Uh, yeah, next week's episode, which uh, aired on September 11th and uh, around. So we're still almost exactly. Well, I guess, obviously, since we do it once a week, we've been exactly like uh, 10 years almost to the day with these episodes. And it'll be a little bit sad to, yeah. to, to move away from that as we finish season eight next week. But we're going to finish season eight very strong. And then, as previously discussed, we'll be doing a whole variety of things until we get to season 11. But uh, we hope that at least some of them will be. Has a word with Stanley, and it is five to five here. 
pitch. Ground ball to first base. Buckner. It goes by him. And here comes the winning run. That is the voice of WRKO's Ken Coleman with the call for Red Sox Nation on the ending of Game 6 of the World Series. And we wanted to bring you a Red Sox fan perspective on everything that transpired that night in October 1986. And we are joined now by Abby Ellen. She is an American author and journalist, uh, most known for writing two books, including Dupe, Double Lives, False Identities, and The Con Man, I Almost Married. And she's a regular writer for the New York Times, uh, Newsweek, Time Magazine, among others. But the reason why we have her here today is because of a very specific article she wrote um, about 10 years ago, uh, right around the time that this episode, Mr. Softy, aired. And it's an article called On Bill Buckner's Greatest Catch, with a little help from Larry David. And it appears in a book, I guess it's kind of like an anthology called Losers, Dispatches from the Other Side of the Scoreboard. Abby Allen, welcome to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good. How are you? <laughs> Hello, I am fine. Just so you know, it actually, the book came out, I think, a year ago. It was, it was the book, the book Losers was from a year ago, not 10 oh, years okay. ago. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I got it doesn't that matter. Doesn't matter. And it doesn't, it totally doesn't matter. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, obviously, you're here for a very specific region, which is I was Googling around around about this episode, and I saw that someone literally wrote an article about this episode, kind of like about the way that Larry David rehabilitated Bill Buckner's legacy. And I was like, well, this seems like a great person to have on this episode of our podcast. I cannot tell you how moved I was by that episode. I am a Sox fan. I'm sorry. I grew up in Boston. So, and I live in New York, but I, I, you know, I'm a Boston sports fan. And I remember vividly in 1986, I was in school in upstate New York and I went with some guy. He was like, hey, let's, the the Mets had won. And so he was like, let's go, let's go to the ticker tape parade. And I really didn't quite understand what that was. Mm -hmm. And then I got there and it was just awful. It was awful being stuck and all these people were shouting out, oh, Roscoe. And I was like, what, wait, what about, (laughs) no, it was just, anyway. And so I always just felt so bad badly for 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 bill buckner you know and then when that episode aired i just thought i i thought it was just perfect i really did i thought it was absolutely the whole episode i thought was genius yeah it's 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 a really interesting episode because i still always think of it as explicitly the bill buckner episode of curb your enthusiasm but i rewatched it earlier today and he doesn't show up until like 16 minutes in like he's only yeah, he's only like in the second half of the episode. Then he really becomes like basically the main character of the episode. And obviously, like there's all the whole uh, Larry parallel storyline. Um, but before we jump into that, why don't we just like kind of take a step back? I think that um, in your article, you mentioned that you were actually at game six of the 1975 World Series. So you kind of have a thing for being in and around these uh, great Red Sox moments. I, uh, you know, I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have anything to do with, I mean, that was just like, I don't know how I ended up there. Uh, you know, how old was I? 76? I was born in December 67. Do the math. I don't do math. How old was I? 11? 10? Um, no, 11. Six, six, you said 67 you were born? I'm born in, yeah, I'm old. I'm born in 67. Yeah, so that's, you, then you were eight. You were eight. So I was eight. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. And I remember there were all these, like, I was flirting with these boys from school. We were sitting up in the bleachers. And yeah, I, t- I mean, 
I have happy, happy memories of Fenway Park. And, and then it just, I, I, it just sort of got shattered, you know, along the, like with so many other people, but I didn't, I didn't hate Bill Buckner the way people, I mean, especially in the curb episode, there's such vile <laughs> animosity toward the guy. Right. Do you remember when he goes into yeah. the, uh, what is he going to a minion? Yeah. He goes into the Shiva minion and even there, they're like, he's yeah. like doing them a favor. They're like, get out of here. We don't, <laughs> we don't want you. <laughs> and what's so funny about that, what I still don't understand is, I would think they would welcome him because because of him, he their team won. So that's what I didn't I don't understand. Why did well, the New Yorkers hate him? Well, so the well, minion the were... minion guy, yeah, he's Herman is from Boston. He's a asshole. Oh, is he a asshole? Okay, yeah, yeah he, I think they're meant they're meant to be Red Sox. Fans. Yeah, but but all the people oh. on the street recognizing him is, and cursing him out is kind of funny, especially because like. Let's be honest. In 2011, he just looks like a generic, you know, middle aged white guy with a mustache walking down the street. <laughs> Totally, totally. But they, but they, but, and that's what I didn't understand about the whole episode was that it was why these New Yorkers were so angry with him still. Like, unless it's just that the New Yorkers don't like anybody who's not a winner. You know, maybe that's what it is. Anyone is a loser. Even if it helps New York win, maybe they just don't like them. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's interesting about the timing is that in real life, even by 2011, like Bill Buckner's reputation had already been like somewhat buoyed by the fact that the Red Sox had won two. He literally threw out the first pitch of the 2008 yeah. season after they won in 2007. So it's like he was no longer this goat in, I mean, he still was to an extent, but like no one really cared about Bill Buckner anymore at that point because the Red Sox had won two World Series. They would go on to win two more in the next right. decade. Um, you know, this is a all long forgotten ancient history, um, except for, I guess, those who were really scarred by it. Well, except for the fact that Larry David, I mean, why would Larry, da- you know, I obviously this whole podcast is dedicated to Larry David. So and my whole thing is, you know, WWLD, what would Larry do? I mean, that's sort of my whole thing in life. Right. Is like what would I, I, I relate to Larry David and I am a female and then my friends laugh about it. But I totally relate to him. And I think he's so the character is so misunderstood. But what went on in the brain of Larry David, the, the writer and the producer to decide to rehabilitate bill buckner i mean that's just fascinating really it, it, it's 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 like why of all the people and and i read articles about it and they said because he was just crucified and larry just sort of felt bad for him yeah i, I think av is right it, it might have made a little more sense pre-2008 um although you know he, larry even yells at the guy at herman at the shiva and he's like you guys want two world series since then and the guy's like it should have right. been three <laughs> Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're right. He was an asshole. That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there, there aren't too many people that come to mind, too many players that really are just like singularly associated with like one specific bad play the way Bill Buckner is. Well, there's, um, there's Fred like, Merkel, who was like the it's called Merkel's boner, which is yeah. like the famous play from the 1912 World Series. But everybody's dead who remembers that. Now. OK, yeah. I don't yeah. even know. Yeah, Wait, I don't even I don't, I've never even heard of that. Who is Merkel and why does he have a boner? I don't know. And, and is Merkel. <laughs> Was Merkel a tribe member? No, so so the that was in, so no, it was a base running mistake in oh sorry, it's not 1912. It was the 1908 World Series. And what oh, happened? Oh, sorry, yeah. like off by years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the and Cubs so, the last time the Cubs yeah, and, before, yeah, yeah. So exactly. So what happened was is he was on the Giants, they were playing the Cubs in the World Series, and there should have been a game winning hit, but because he he made like an error of the base pass, basically, and so he was out instead and a force. 
and it was just like very controversial and um it was basically the buckner of its era but you know again uh, over time it eventually gets forgotten because there's no video of it because it's 1908 right like buckner unfortunately has the video isn't that interesting merkel and buckner both sound germanic don't they the name i wonder there's something about that <laughs> um yes i mean like this whole bill buckner like saga um it's like it really is like in the form of like a greek tra- a greek tragedy it's just like it seems so preordained in so many ways like if you go through kind of like the beats of his career like he he started out with the dodgers and he was like the left fielder when hit when hank aaron hit his 715th home runs it's like this like forest gump like thing where like of these these are like on the top you know 10 20 list of like any like great moments in baseball history these you know the Buckner play and the and the Hank Aaron play and he's like on the on the wrong side of both of them um well he's he's such a unique player in general I think because so he he had 10,000 career plate appearances there's 87 players in baseball history with 10,000 plate appearances the other 86 are almost exclusively Hall of Famers or guys who are like just just on the borderline. Only one of them has fewer than 40 career war, which is Harold Baines, who just undeservedly made the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, but still has 39. Buckner has like 12 or 13. So Buckner is like sui generis in baseball history. Basically, a guy who stuck around forever was never great, but for two decades was consistently one of the best like 400 baseball players in the world, essentially. His he career. Was solid. His career he OPS a, plus is exactly a hundred, which means he batted oh, wow. exactly the league average, which given the fact that he's a first baseman, given the fact that he's a first baseman is obviously makes him slightly worse because, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a power hitting position. But, but the point is, it's just, it's amazing to play so long and, and never have been a star. And then unfortunately what you're known for is his, you know, as I've said, is like, you know, this yeah. worst moment. He did win. He did win a batting title. Um, so, yeah, and like he was an all-star one year. So like, you know, he had like, a, you yeah. know, a very, well, if you're a starter for 20 years, you'll be an all-star one. Yeah. So. You know, you can have one year where you pop a little, but yeah, I mean, just to yeah. continue with like this, uh, you know, this storyline of Bill Buckner. So then like, you know, we get to, we get to 1986, you know, he's, you know, he's had kind of like a pretty long career at that point. Um, pretty good player. Um, yeah. And the Mets and Red Sox actually played a game earlier that season, um, an exhibition in September. I, like, I don't know why this existed. This is not something that I've ever remember happening since I've been a baseball fan. Um, they just like played a random game. And in that game, Bill Buckner had a ball go through his legs into right fields um, and a run scored. Is that right? It's absolutely right. And then um, he, in an interview before the World Series, uh, he gave a quote that says, you know, you're so excited to finally be in the World Series. The dreams are that you're going to have a great series and win. The nightmare is that you're going to let the winning run score on a ground ball through your legs. Is that really? Yeah, that's so, really funny. Wow. He literally Buckner said this in an interview it? before the World Series. And then in the first inning of 1986, game six of the World Series, while Bill Buckner is up to bat, he th- takes one pitch. Right after the, that pitch hits the catcher's glove, a man named Michael Sergio parachutes into Shea Stadium from the sky lands right in front of Bill Buckner and then is, you know, arrested by the police. It's like, he's like clearly being set up as like the main character of this story. It's like, we have him like randomly appear in the first act with the Hank Aaron home run. Like he tries to jump and catch it. He can't make it. Goes through this whole long career, you know, this workman-like player. And then like, it's all coming home to roost at the end. He's going to drop the ball again at the end. So, all right. You think that he was set up? 
let's just go with some conspiracy theories. Well, I mean, let's be honest. It wasn't his, I mean, it's his fault he made the error, but he was a 36 year old aging, you know, subpar defensive. And at that point, subpar offensive first baseman who, although he he did have a career high of home runs that year of 18, but he should not at that point in the game, when you're winning, you bring in defensive replacements. And the reason that John McNair, the Red Sox manager left him in was, well, I wanted him to get to be on the field for the final moment. Like, so it, he, he shouldn't have been on the field. And it was really McNamara who made the mistake, I think. I mean, Buckner made the mistake, but McNamara made the mistake to leave him out there in the first place. Yeah, and they, they would frequently sub in uh, Dave Stapleton for defense late in games. It was just like literally like this game. Like, you know, let's not because, you know, the story requires it. We need Bill Buckner out there to, to ruin the game. Um, yeah, I mean, it's your point. You know, it's not like the, you know, the Red Sox didn't have their chances to put this game away. I mean, they had, you know, this is a, an inning where they were up two runs, two mat, two outs, nobody on. Um, they had like two strikes on, on with two outs multiple times. Uh, Mookie Wilson has to foul off like nine different pitches. There's a wild pitch before, you know, Bill Buckner even like enter, re-enters the story. So, you know, they had their chances. Bill Buckner takes a very disproportionate portion of the blame here. Sure. Yeah. But Larry David rescued him. As Abby explains, <laughs> but, but Len, I, I'm waiting to chime in. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, way more baseball history than I do. Yeah, the, the, the Merkel's boner thing. I think, yeah, this Merkel. First of all, I don't think we would call it Merkel's boner anymore because uh, that term has different meanings uh, in the common parlance. But he is very lucky, this Merkel, that there was no video in, in 1908. I think that's why Buckner's will survive even longer. I mean, so Merkel's was now what 113 years ago, and unless you've watched Ken Burns documentary on baseball, like nobody knows about it anymore. Um, But yeah, I think the Buckner video will live on forever. And so, um, you know, well after he's gone, uh, you know, what's interesting. Sorry. What's interesting about Buckner is that he's sort of like the Nixon, isn't he? Like people look back on Nixon and they're like, yeah, he wasn't so bad. You know, (laughs) I mean, that's sort of what. That's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think like how would someone would have to be like the Trump of the World Series, like take who's, the ball, so, yeah, so who's chuck it Buckner? into the stands, like punch all the Latino players in the face. Like, how can you be right. much worse and blame than Matt for being in the way? Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's your fault for coming here. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know. It's just it. I, I, listen, people. I mean, you know, when he died, it, it, people were. People weren't grieving, you know, there was there was a big when Buckner Sure. Died. Well, I think, again, as I've said, because they've won the two World Series. And so Red Sox fans, even the most unreasonable ones, other than the, the guy at the Minion, they can finally realize that they have to <laughs> let him rest in peace. I was I had no idea. I, I don't know if you did. Was it common knowledge that he had dementia or that he had that he was? Oh, I, I until he died. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of him a lot after this curb episode, to be honest. So. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's too bad. It was really too bad. So were you, were you, what did you, so you rewatched it, Avi. You, you rewatched the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're, we're covering the episode this week. So we were, we were going to watch it anyway. But yeah, I, I rewatched it today. Um, it's just like in putting aside even like the Buckner stuff, there's just like so many classic great stuff in this episode. It's like basically a perfect episode from beginning to end. Every, every scene is great. Um, it's absolutely one of my favorite episodes. Um, you know, I was telling Alex earlier, Alex has a, a special trifecta of interests, um, specifically uh, sports, Judaism, and sex, which if they appear in any Curb episode, he automatically loves the episode. And this one just like really nails all three. Yeah, and it has ice episode. cream. And it has ice cream, yes. 
Well, I, every time I hear that, 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 I mean, I'm just, it's, you know, it's just, it is traumatic. It's traumatic to hear it anyway, even if you had, didn't have some kind of awful experience with your childhood, you know, being in a strip poker game. I mean, it was just, it's just, it was out there. How he managed to cram so much into that episode. You think yeah. about it, it was the, 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 was Rosie O'Donnell, I haven't watched it. Was Rosie O'Donnell in that episode too? Or no, no, she's, she's not on this one. Okay. But um, that this is the one with Susie in the car. Susie right? in the car, yeah. Oh the minion, yeah. Fred Malamud as the, the as psychiatrist <laughs> to the stars who tells everyone, you know, the secrets of all his patients. And then, of course, Leon's in there, right? And I mean, you know, yeah, is, this, Leon- is this the one where Leon puts on the glasses? Yes. Yeah. Harder. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you got you got Anna Gasteyer as uh, Larry's girlfriend for this episode and next That's episode. Perfect. Yeah. It's just like every everything in this episode. It's is perfect. Great. It is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And you even have you know tying it together um, back to Bill Buckner. You know the the shit happens refrain in this episode is like literally what he said in an interview. Not literally, but essentially the message that he said in the interview after the game when like you know people, you know reporters are asking him about like you know his big error and he's like yeah you know I've never gotten to play in the game seven before and now I do so you know I welcome this opportunity. He's just like whatever you know tomorrow's another day. From from everything I've read, that sort of was his attitude about it, right? I mean, he, yeah. And Ob, yeah. you called him Forrest Gump, right? That line, at least in the movie, and in, is is attributed to Forrest Gump as the inventor of it. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, of which um, line? Shit happens. That's attributed to Forrest Gump in the movie when he's running across the oh, country. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Oh my god, good call. He helps the bumper sticker guy. That's right. How do you yeah. remember that? I don't know. Yeah, wow. well, you know, it's uh, it's certainly uh, you know, I think that's certainly apparent his personality from merely from the fact that he was uh, you know, willing to have this episode b- based around you know one of the worst moments of his life. Um, although it sounds like from interviews I've read, like that's he's like kind of really put it pat- behind him and like he just doesn't want to deal with other people. Um, and you know, we'll just you know we'll just end with uh, one last question, Abby. Um, let's say Buckner had fielded the ball. Does he beat Mookie Wilson to the bag? Yeah. He does. Okay. So, you know, the, bl- the blame is rightful here. <laughs> uh, leave the guy alone. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, um, he, saves baby. he saves a baby from a burning building. Yeah. He's a hero as far as I'm he's concerned. He's a hero. <laughs> yeah. So, Abby, thank you so much. This was uh, really fun. Loved having to he- hearing your perspective as a Red Sox fan, as a Curb fan. Um, if you want to just tell listeners where they could find you, anything you want to mention. Um, we, we, sure. we really appreciate having Thank you. you. My, my, my book is called Duped Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. And it actually is becoming, well, it is a podcast that will be um, coming out on September, I think it's September 13th. And okay. it's kind of a six episode, like Dirty John kind of thing. And you can find it on spotify as the imposters it's it's called imposters the commander and it's launching september 13th on spotify all right great so uh we'll definitely look out for that and look forward to hearing it thank you so much thank you so much thank you abby That is the voice of Hall of Fame broadcast.
broadcaster Bob Murphy with the call on WFAN in New York as the Mets score the winning run in Game 6 to force a Game 7. And for the Mets, the other side of the coin, we're going to go for a Mets fan perspective here. Okay, we are joined now by Greg Prince, the author of several books about the New York Mets, including Faith and Fear in Flushing, an intense personal history of the New York Mets, Piazza, Catcher, Slugger, Icon, Star, and The Happiest Recap. He is also the proprietor of my personal favorite Mets blog, also named Faith and Fear in Flushing. And I believe he is even set to appear in the upcoming ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about the 1986 New York Mets named Once Upon a Time in Queens. And that, I think, is coming out in a couple of weeks. So, Greg, welcome to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Um, as soon as I realized that, you know, we had this episode coming up, um, it was immediately clear to me that I wanted to do some sort of like side segment, just like talking about the 86 Mets, which uh, whether fortunately or unfortunately remains like the singularly, uh, you know, most important uh, mm-hmm. team in Mets history. Um, I was actually like doing the math in my head and I was like, oh, I can't believe it's been 25 years since uh, the 86 Mets. And I'm like, wait a second. It's been 35 years. Um, so, yeah, it's been a while uh, since the Mets have had um, that kind of success. Um, we uh, we deal now with a Mets team that. Uh, brings us mostly frustration. So I guess it's good every now and then to uh, look back on some uh, happier times. Um, And I would say basically, as soon as I decided that I wanted to do this, you were immediately the person that came to mind. Um, For many years now, you have been one of my favorite commentators and analysts, uh, what have you, whatever the right word is, on, on all things Mets. You have a very distinct writing style, just very, very emotional, very intimate, very personal. Um, that has always really spoken to me as a Mets fan. So I'm really excited to have you here and uh, jump in, talk 86 Mets together. Well, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, uh, we try to win a World Series once every 35 years. We'll probably want to edit that for next year and say once every 36 years, because it's yeah. probably not happening in 2021. But uh as we speak, uh, mathematical elimination has not visited us, so there's always hope, I suppose. But uh, yeah, 1986, good year to be a Mets fan. Yeah, and you know the the sentiment that you just spoke to has really always been a clarion call of the Mets. The you know the slogan "You got to believe" has always been associated with them. And um, you uh, you had the fortune of really you like really grew up with the Mets. I think you were born like just a year after the Mets were came into existence. I, so you're you're kind of on the same schedule as the Mets. Yeah, I was born at the end of 1962. So I like to say that I was. I've done the math, and it may very well have been I was conceived uh, the night that the Mets were born <laughs> in April of 62. Uh, I can't speak for my parents, uh, who I somehow don't think they would have been driven to action <laughs> by the fact that the Mets were on TV or radio yeah. from St. Louis that night. But uh, yeah, I was born at the end of 62, and I came to baseball awareness in 69, which uh, is a good year to do it because that was the year of the Miracle Mets in the first world championship. And I was six years old at the time. It was the greatest thing in my life. And I was hooked. And I would discover that uh, that was not an annual occurrence going (laughs) to the World Series and winning the World Series, but it's too late. And uh, yeah, I was uh, long, long on board by the time 86 came along. 
Yeah, so I actually uh, reread your uh, the chapter in your book about game six this morning. And what, what I was struck by is like the first page and a half, you kind of talk about how throughout the game, no matter what happened, you were sure the Mets were going to pull it out. And I was wondering if you could speak to what it was about that 86 team, which was a juggernaut in so many ways, so many great personalities, such a memorable group of people. Um, but like, what was it about that particular group that kind of just like in, instilled you with so much confidence that no matter what happened, you know, they were going to, they were going to find a way one way or another to win that game. Well, it had been that kind of season. I mean, the, the record alone speaks to how good they were 108 wins, 54 losses in the regular season. And a, in those days, there was just one playoff series before the world series, the national league championship series, which was a nail biter or whatever uh, cliche you'd like to use. Uh, where they beat the Astros in six games, but you know five of those six games were hold on for dear life, culminating in a 16-inning affair yeah. uh, to clinch the series and avoid a seventh game against Mike Scott, the pitcher who owned them yeah. previously in the series. So there was all kinds of drama coming into the series uh, to get there, coming into the World Series. Um, but this team had persevered through everything, had dominated everybody. It had been like a, uh, a three-year climb to get to this moment. The 84 team had burst through before, shall we say. They had been in, in terrible shape for about seven years. This team was finally coming together. Challenge for the division title fell short. The 85 team, even better belly little short so 86 you know, you're just poised for the excitement of a team that was finally going to win and they started winning and it was a an outsized personality type of team uh throw some names at at, at your listeners uh daryl strawberry dwight gooden keith hernandez gary carter uh, a supporting cast, Lenny Dykstra, Wally Backman, Mookie Wilson, uh, who uh, comes up in this episode, as well as you know, a whole bunch of names would be very familiar to baseball fans. And there, there was this take no prisoners attitude. There was this we will not be beat attitude. Uh, there was this no matter how far behind we fall, we will come back attitude. And within the World Series itself, the Mets had lost the first two games. I think they were quite frankly, just sleepy from uh, the Houston right. series. Uh, they storm back. They win two in Fenway. They're down three games to two when they come home to shape for game six. And they fall behind early and they're not hitting. But as you said, um, I did not lose faith because this was the team that was built to be at this moment to go all the way. And if it was going to take seven games in a seven game world series, so be it. We were going to win the sixth game. And that is how I felt for at least nine innings. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that that takes a turn when we get to the top of the 10th inning. And of course, it's Dave Henderson. He who hit the big home run in the Red Sox ALCS comeback win against the Angels. And he hits a home run at the top of the 10th. He's followed up, uh, I think, Boggs and doubles. And then he gets singled in. And now we're heading into the bottom of the 10th. And the Mets are down two runs. And, you know, I guess even you at that point had lost hope. Yeah, I mean, the, the down two runs part, 
you know, it's a pretty big, uh, yeah, <laughs> but with pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. Yeah, to, exactly. Uh, to borrow from uh, one of Larry David's friends. Um, you know, the first batter of the 10th inning in the bottom of the 10th down two runs was Wally Backer, who I had like all the faith in the world. And I mean, Wally was one of my favorites. He always finds a way to get on base, but he doesn't get on base. So there's one out and that's a downer, but Keith Hernandez is coming up and Keith Hernandez was the avatar of clutch in those days. And, and for all times, yeah. I'm concerned. and for you sure. couldn't count on Keith Hernandez. What could you count on? So yes, Keith Hernandez is going to keep this world series going, but then he makes an out. So at this point, it's two outs. There's nobody on base. They're still down by two runs. One out ends what to this point has been the greatest season in Mets history. As far as I'm concerned, the greatest season in human history. And now we are at the abyss. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just you who was uh, who's feeling it at that moment. Um whether whether apocryphal or not, the people in the stadium claim that for whether it was a moment or two, the scoreboard in right field flashed the words "Congratulations, Boston Red Sox, 1986 World Champions." Yeah, the uh, word started spreading in the in the press office, or I guess in the press box, that uh, Bruce Hurst had been named World Series MVP. So, and you know, the the champagne was ready in the in the Red Sox clubhouse, ready on ice. Um, um, right when Gary Carter comes to the plate and what preceded was like this, almost like I've watched, and I've watched this, this, uh, rally so many times in my life. I was, I was only three years old when it happened the, the real time. So I obviously didn't get to see it then, but I've watched it so many times. It remains like the defining, uh, defining moment of my Mets fandom, even though I didn't witness it, which, you know, speaks more to the nature of being a Mets fan than anything else. Um, and Carter kind of just like muscles, this like lazy ball into left field, uh, bringing up Kevin Mitchell and then possibly another apocryphal story about, you know, Mitchell and uh, Calvin Chiraldi being uh, roommates back in the minors. I don't know if you know, you, you know, this story, Do you know, if this is true. Yeah, I, I don't I couldn't say it's true. But yeah, sure this is. Yeah, it's a rumor that has been told that, you know, that one, you know, one night yeah, when they were roommates in the minor leagues, uh, mm-hmm. Mitchell asks Chiraldi, you know, if you ever had to face me, how would you pitch me? And he says something like, well, you know, I'd probably start you up and in and then throw you a slide or low and away. And in fact, he does that very same thing on this at bat. And if you uh, if you freeze frame the video of Mitchell on that at bat right after that first pitch, you kind of see him kind of like looking up into the air with like this, like knowing understanding of what's coming next. And again, who knows how much of this is true, how much of this is revisionist history. But yeah, that next pitch is a, a slider low and away. And he just like pokes it into left field. And all of a sudden we got a stew cooking. Well, you know, coming in to Gary Carter's at bat is where I lost faith. Um. I loved Gary Carter. I loved all these guys. But whereas I saw Wally Backman, I saw Hope, I saw Keith Hernandez, and I saw Clutch. I saw Gary Carter, and I just had this sense that, okay, it's over. <laughs> uh, even, even though he was a future Hall of Famer and was certainly on, on track for that at that moment, yeah, I, I remembered specifically a year earlier the Mets were coming down the stretch final week of the season. They desperately needed to win a game in St. Louis. And Gary Carter flies out to end it and essentially ends their hopes. And I was like, well, that's what Gary Carter does. What are you going to do? And I was just trying to grapple with the idea that it's been a great season and we did win a pennant. But boy, is this going to be disappointing. And then, as you said, uh, Gary Carter muscles a ball into the outfield. And we're still alive. And yeah, Kevin Mitchell is now called on to pinch hit. And now that we have the second life, I am still without any real hope 
because although Kevin Mitchell had had a wonderful rookie season overall, in my mind, it was all in the first half. And I, I felt that he was kind of pushing it, uh, over swinging in the second half. And you really want to trust your fate to a rookie. <laughs> Everything on the line. Yeah. So um, I see Kevin Mitchell. I say, okay, well, you know, we've extended this. but And this is odd because usually you get a hit in the ninth inning. You're down two runs. I don't care what year it is, how good the, the Mets are or aren't. You figure, okay, we're still alive. But I was still in that place where I hadn't been all of 1986, which was, well, this is over anyway. This is just window dressing. But Kevin Mitchell, uh, whatever his knowledge of Calvin Chiraldi was, and I, I prefer to believe that story, um, he gets a base hit and it's first and second. And then, then we're on to Ray Knight. And, you know, recently in, in 2021, there's been a, a controversy in Mitzland about uh, the fans booing the players and the players booing the fans <laughs> back in their own way by yeah. giving the, uh, the thumbs down, down sign, uh, which is one of those silly controversies that comes up in the course of a losing season. Uh, at least to this point, a losing season. And I would, you know, which always brings up the, the evergreen uh, sports talk type debate. Oh, should fans boo players if it's your favorite team and back and forth? And I'm thinking, well, I never boo players, except I booed Rain Knight in mm. 1985. Uh, he was terrible that year. I wasn't really booing Rain Knight as much as I was booing Davey Johnson's decision to keep playing him. But Rain Knight had a terrific season in 86. He turned it around. They were you know, ready to release him in spring training, but he made himself a huge part of that team. And he comes up, and now we have first and second, and it's our chance to, to stay alive. And I'm thinking, well, it's 1985 all over again. Ray Knight's going to ground out. and it's just So I still, I don't know why all the you-got-to-believe energy right. had been sapped out of me, but to yeah. that moment, I still didn't really believe that anything was going on. And then Ray Knight gets a base hit. And Carter scores and Mitchell goes to third. It's five to four and we're not dead yet. And Mookie Wilson comes up. Mookie Wilson, who to that point, I think had been on the Mets longer consecutively than anybody else. Him and Backman came up at the same time in September of 80. Uh, Backman had been sent down at some point. Jesse Orozco had come up in 79, but he spent an entire year in the minors along the way, Lee Mazzilli. This is way more information than your listeners need. I understand that. Oh, they, they want, they want all <laughs> Lee, of this. Lee Mazzilli had come back that year, but he'd been gone for several years. So Mookie had been the constant, uh, I guess is what I'm saying here. So I'd lived with Mookie and I won't say died with Mookie because we were pretty moribund franchise in the early eighties, but Mookie had, had been the, the one guy you were with. He represented more probably in his own way, more than any of the superstars like what a met from the 1980s was. And to that point, to that night, the Mets of the 1980s hadn't won anything other than the division and the pen. And so I saw Mookie Wilson and it was just some, some random night in 1982 in my head where Mookie's going to swing at a ball outside the strike zone. And we're just going to go down here because, well, you know, every Met I've mentioned who's batted since Hernandez made out as a guy I did not have belief in my core. And um, the one thing that happened during this at bat to, uh, to turn it all around was an inside pitch from Chiraldi that Rich Gedman doesn't handle. And I should say that in the seconds before it was delivered, 
I just thought to myself, out of nowhere, because I hadn't thought this all year, what we really need now is a wild pitch. A score Mitchell from third. And there was a wild pitch. You might want to say it was a passed ball because, you know, <laughs> Kidman probably could have handled it. Maybe it should have, maybe, you know, if Mookie doesn't jump out of the way, maybe he gets hit by the pitch and the bases are loaded and Howard Johnson comes up and I had issues with him too. But um, the point being the ball goes to the backstop and Kevin Mitchell urged on by Bud Harrelson, third base coach, member of the 69 Mets and the 73 Mets, uh, the only man to wear a uh, Met uniform in three different World Series, uh, sends him home and he crosses the plate and the game is tied. And now everything is different because we're no longer losing and we're no longer about to have our season end and the Red Sox are no longer about to be congratulated in earnest on the Diamond Vision for winning uh, the World Series. And Ray Knight, by the way, has moved up to second base. So it is, uh, to invoke the horriest of cliches, a whole new ball game. And Mookie Wilson continues in his at-bat against Calvin Schiraldi, the ex-Met. And it feels like it goes on forever, foul ball after foul ball. You know, uh, Mookie uh, was fond of saying, certainly after the fact, that his belief as a batter was thou shalt not pass. So, you know, he's not trying to walk. He's not trying to just get on base and leave it to the next guy. And finally, and I think the 10th. Yeah, something like that. 10th, yeah. Uh, Pitch of the at-bat, an epic at-bat. And like you said, Bruce Hurst has already been named MVP and they're talking about it on, uh, on, on the telecast or minutes earlier. We're talking about the telecast as it was fait accompli, first time in 68 years for the Red Sox. And although I'm sure Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola weren't exactly rooting for the Red Sox, I think the story was overtaking <laughs> the, uh, the moment. But that's okay because I've only heard them in retrospect on the video because at that point I had the sound down. I was listening to Bob Murphy and Gary Thorne on the radio because if, if we were going down, I wanted to go down with Bob Murphy's voice in my head. Yeah, it's but, fun. it's um, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. I I, I noticed that in your uh, in that chapter as well. Um, because I did like basically the same exact thing um, in the '99 NLCS when the Mets were the Mets were down three nothing, and um, in Game Four, I think they were down either one run or two runs going into the bottom of the ninth. Or, oh, sorry, the bottom of the eighth. Um, and I just decided like I had to abandon my family who had like you know jumped on the Mets bandwagon for the for the playoffs. Like I was like a diehard who you know lived and breathed with every pitch, and I was like I. I can't watch the Mets season end like surrounded by like my little sister who like doesn't even know what's going on. Um, so I, I head down to the basement and I turn off the TV volume. I put on uh, Gary Cohn and Bob Murphy, Bob Murphy and listen on that. And of course the Mets have this crazy comeback, win the game in the bottom, in the ninth inning and send it to a game, uh, send it to a game five. And then game five, very same thing. I'm watching with my family, the whole game upstairs, the game goes into, goes to 15 innings and the top of the 15th, the Braves take the lead. And I'm like, that's it. I'm out of here. I can't do this again. I head back downstairs, same deal, turn off the sound, put on the radio and 
the Mets pull it off again, the Ventura Grand Slam single. Yeah. And then we head to game six. And I say, you know what? This time I'm not playing games. I, I'm, I'm not watching the game with my family. I can't take, you know, I can't rely on another comeback again. So I say, I'm just going downstairs from the beginning. I'm doing this shtick again. It's worked two times in a row. And of course, you know what, what happened next is that Al Leiter gives up five runs in the top of the first inning. And so much for that. And the Mets eventually made a game of it. Piazza hits this big home run to tie it off Smoltz later. And again, the game goes to the extra innings. And for some reason, I forgot to go back downstairs and turn on the radio again when the Mets were uh, heading into extra innings. And unfortunately, our season ended at that time, uh, I guess, mo- mostly due to my fault. Um, but yeah, it's funny. on the radio. Ev. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny <laughs> that we have uh, we had the same instinct uh, there. Yeah, I have not. I have not partaken of a postseason telecast without the sound down since then, if I've had the wow. opportunity. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, uh, listening to, to Murph and Gary Thorne, um, hoping against hope now, no longer, you know, what, what I'd said everything before about I'd given up, uh, that was all in the past. It could have been a thousand years ago now. I'm completely believing in Mookie Wilson and he's just got to gotta make contact and he makes contact. Tenth pitch, thereabouts, sends a ground ball down the first baseline and it bounces a couple of times, essentially. And at this point, if I've had a chance to think, it's that, okay, this is probably a ground out. We're going to the 11th inning, but Mookie is, I don't even know if I took the time to think, well, Mookie is fast. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. In retrospect, it's been pointed out a million times that usually John McNamara, the manager of the Red Sox, would take. Bill Buckner out and bring in Dave Stapleton for defense because Bill Buckner had really bad ankles. Yeah. I didn't even, wasn't thinking of that at all. I don't think I had noticed that in the course of the world series because the uh, games in which the Red Sox had won, I was probably by the time we got to the ninth inning, except for game one, the Mets were uh, game five. Uh, I wasn't worried about Red Sox defense. I was worried about us getting a hit or getting right. to the game. So I wasn't thinking about that. So the ball is heading toward Buckner, who has, you know, been playing baseball for at that point for in the major leagues for 17 years. Great hitter. One of the reasons the Red Sox were in the World Series. And But who's thinking about it? It's a ground ball to first base. You just assume that, oh, well, and then it goes through his legs. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> the two uh to to quote gary thorne in the uh, in the moments after everything happens uh he was referring to the red sox but he could have been referring to me or any of us in a state of stunned disbelief yeah because we have been delivered from the abyss now the ball goes through his legs it bounces into the outfield ray knight is running ray knight pounds <laughs> third and he scores and the mets who were dead minutes ago have won six to five and we have won game six and game seven is coming and it was supposed to come the next night uh it's rain rained out and we played monday and just the short version is as uh was mentioned at the top of this conversation the mets won the world series 35 years ago so uh on that incredibly unlikely to put it mildly play uh Bill Buckner became a folk hero in New York, whether he wanted to be or not. And I'm going to assume he did not. Um, I I just want to throw this in before I forget. 35 years after the fact, I'm at Citi Field very recently. 
walking out uh, after a Met loss, sadly. And there's somebody wearing what is known as a jersey. I'm not, I'm not thinking <laughs> that, that phrase. A T-shirt with a player's name and number on the back, as if it is a uniform top, but cheaper. And it doesn't say, uh, you know, it doesn't say Lindor 12 or DeGrom 48, or for that matter, Hernandez 17. It says Buckner 86. Oh, I've seen, I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if that doesn't tell you what the, the place that that moment holds in our, our metropolitan consciousness, uh, you know, n- nothing will, but uh, you know, he is, you know, again, I, I feel kind of bad about it, but, you know, he is kind of an honorary Met yeah. <laughs> in the sense of, well, who helped win us the World Series? And you could go down the list of players who did great things in a Mets uniform. But uh, for one passing moment, Bill Buckner does not bend down enough, whether he was physically able to, whether it was just something in his head. The ball goes through his legs, and just to, to finish the story of where I was, I'm watching this, I see this, I hear Bob Murphy announce it, and I start screaming. And um, it went through his legs, it went through his legs. I don't believe it, I don't believe it. I repeated everything twice. I, I also, uh, I'm, I'm cleaning it up for your audience, but uh, I'm pretty sure, I, w- I did not just say I don't believe it. It went through his legs. I think I, I added a descriptor or two. But uh, anyway, I was I was 23 years old then. It was about a year and a half after I graduated college. I was still living at home with my parents. They were downstairs. They were great bandwagon fans in that era. They had not cared about the Mets until 1984-85. They got into it. Uh, they I couldn't. It wasn't so much that I couldn't watch with them. It was just I couldn't stay in one place probably. So I'd gone upstairs to watch. They're downstairs. And I swear, you know, there's about 13 steps in that house from upstairs to the main floor. And I feel like I took them in like two leaps, which I'm sure I didn't. But uh, go downstairs and you know, my, my parents can't believe it. I can't believe it. My, my mother announces that you know, I taped it, which you know was something she didn't really do that much. I didn't even know how to work a VCR in those days. And I didn't really know why she taped it exactly, because all we were going to see was the end of the World Series, right. which was the Red Sox winning. But I guess she thought uh, for historical purposes. But now we had you know, a historical document long, long before YouTube. And um, suddenly I, I get a, a phone call from a friend of mine who was the very first person I ever knew to have uh, a mobile phone. Uh, kind of an early adapter in 1986 and he's in his car and he says to, to what wasn't real wasn't any kind of a baseball fan but he kind of got caught up like a lot of new yorkers did and said i'm on my way home from a wedding and i'm listening he's actually listening on the uh, the national broadcast he didn't even know where the, the mets game was right so that, that kind of guy but a great guy but not a baseball fan really but anyway like oh my god i'm i'm, I'm a few blocks from your house and he just like had to come over and we, we, we wound the tape and we watched it over and over and just walking around in this, I can't believe it, type of fog. And, you know, a beautiful fog <laughs> trying to uh, grasp that the season did not end, the World Series did not end. We can still win the World Championship that we've waited 17 years for. Because, Av, isn't 17 years the longest you can possibly imagine <laughs> waiting for a World Series championship? Well, maybe not, but... Yeah. Um, Anyway, that was the night that Bill Buckner became a legend, and 
Not, and that was the night, uh, essentially, that Bill Buckner became a must-get for Curb Your Enthusiasm many years later. Yeah. So what was your um, experience or like what was your impression when, you know, you're you're sitting down, you're watching uh, season eight, episode eight of Curb Your Enthusiasm as if it's any other episode. And all of a sudden, Bill, Beck- Bill Buckner shows up on your TV screen. I always get excited when there's a Mets storyline or a Mets reference in any kind of popular culture. I have this endless file i've been keeping for god like at least 20 years and have really ramped up since i've been doing the blog and every year i do a, a kind of a year in met pop culture whether it's something that that actually just aired for the first time that year or something i because this is the problem with this you can never have a complete right listing because you never know what you're gonna run a you'll find some old sitcom from 1964 made a joke about how mad the mets are or whatever <laughs> right so um when I realize what's going on in this episode, it's like, well, this is a big moment in the life of the Mets. I, you know, this was 2011. So the Mets were in one of their many down periods. So you're happy for anything that acknowledges the Mets in a good light. And you're happy for anything that, that brings up 1986. And, uh, you know, this, this wasn't just Bill Buckner, but as I was reminded, it was also Mookie Wilson. Uh, you know, his, his name is, his name is dropped and his image appears. And, um, but you know, the, the thing about this, you know, I think it's kind of perfect that it becomes the Bill Buckner episode in our minds and that Bill Buckner has, has the leading role, if you will, or the featured role at the end. Um, you know, we ought to think of it as the Mookie ball. We ought to think of it as the Mookie game, but we don't. Right. <laughs> because Mookie had lots of ground balls to first base in his life. <laughs> and, you know, you might've beaten out a few, but most of them were picked up by the first baseman uh, as a non-event. But uh, here, uh, you know, as in the game, uh, Bill Buckner shows up and uh, it's, it's very exciting to see. He's, uh, he's still our guy one way or another in 2011, just as he was in 86. Yeah. Um, so you wrote very beautifully when uh, when Bill Buckner passed away a few years ago um, about the idea that, you know, he this is a guy who deserved for his to not be remembered specifically for this. You know, he was, of course, a, a terrific baseball player, had a very long career, you know, wasn't a Hall of Famer, wasn't necessarily someone who was going to be a household name forever, but was a very good player in his own right, an all star, won a batting title and a mensch by all accounts. And it's it's uh, it's sad in a way that this is what he's remembered for yeah i think uh you know when he died in 2019 i'm I'm happy that there was sort of this rush to adjust the conventional wisdom and i think the fact that the red sox in the 21st century have shaken off the curse of the bambino as it was known uh that said they, they would never win another world series after selling babe ruth to the yankees and then they went about proving it for the next, uh, what was it, 86 years, and then losing in, in every horrible way possible, you know, the, and the Buckner <laughs> play being the, you know, the apogee of uh, losing horribly. So the Red Sox fans who were not crazy about him in the aftermath of 1986 for understandable reasons, I suppose, but, but hounded him beyond all decency, the point where I think he had to like move out of New England and move to Idaho and just get away from it all. Uh, you know, there, there was a revisiting of his legacy over the years. And you have four World, four World Series rings by then if you're a Red Sox fan. So you're not really that mad anymore. 
and you can take the long view. And yeah, this was a guy who got fairly close to 3000 hits, which is, you know, the, the, the mark of like an all time great made all-star teams, one batting title uh, was just the kind of guy you didn't want to see come up against you. Uh, you know, he had a long career in the national league and he would, you know, be in a lot of trouble when you faced him uh, if you were the Mets. So this didn't need to be, you know, to, to use yet another cliche, the first line of his obituary. And I thought it was important that to hear right about Bill Buckner, you know, the all around terrific ball player while acknowledging that he holds, you know, a very singular place in Met history and yeah, baseball history. And, you know, there, there've been a few other guys in the course of the game whose name became synonymous with a mistake. There was a player in the early 20th century named Fred Merkel who didn't touch second base uh, on a play that it didn't appear he had to. He was ruled he should have. It became Merkel's boner. Fred Merkel had a long, had a, had a good career and a long life. And, but for the rest of time, it was like, hey, there's the guy, the bonehead Merkel, uh, that sort of thing. Ralph Branca, who threw the, uh, the pitch that Bobby Thompson hit to uh, win, win the uh, pennant for the Giants in the 51 playoff one of the great pennant races of all time. And he had a great career and he had a great life, but he's the guy who gave up the home run. So, you know, you're always going to be sort of identified with a, an outsized moment if that is your only calling card. Bill Buckner had a bigger <laughs> calling card or another calling card, and it seems right to remember him that way. And it seems right to remember that you have to be a great sport to go and curb your enthusiasm and evoke memories of 1986, of his worst moment. And of course, the, uh, the script did right by him, uh, the way it played out, that his hands were sure <laughs> that he was the hero. And as long as it didn't take away uh, 1986 uh, World Championship banner from us, I'm glad it, uh, it happened for him. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. Let's say uh, Buckner had fielded the ball cleanly. Who, be, who makes it first to the bag? I think Mookie does. Mookie okay. He's running harder than he's ever run before. He was one of the speediest guys the Mets ever had. At that point, Knight is on third. Howard Johnson comes up. Lee Mazzilli is on deck. Neither one of them inspired. Well, again, Howard Johnson would go on to become a terrific player at that point. Eh. If he somehow gets on, if he walks, let's say, and it's all in Lee Mazzilli's lap. And that would have just both thrilled and terrified me because Lee Mazzilli was the one guy from the really awful years in the late seventies and he, he was the star of the team. He had gone on his, his way, had been traded for Ron Darling and Walt Terrell, who was traded for Howard Johnson. This, this is what people who listen to a podcast about Kirby enthusiasm need to hear. And, um, but Lee Mazzilli came back as the wise veteran who had gotten a big pinch hit earlier in that game. But like, you know, so much of my fandom by 1986, was informed by the really awful years in which we had Lee Mazzilli and hardly anybody else. So it had come down to Lee Mazzilli. I'd love to believe that Lee Mazzilli would have won the World Series for the Mets. But at that point, I didn't really care who won the World Series for the Mets. But um, Mookie beats Buckner to the, the bag, I believe, but we don't know that. Could be that Buckner has forward momentum. Could be that Mookie's the guy who, who stumbles on his way to first. But then we have the 11th inning. And then Doug Sis comes out 
to pitch. And um, I think uh, Richard Kind is his name, right? The one who plays uh, Larry's yeah, uh, cousin, cousin Andy. Show. Cousin Andy. Uh, Doug Sisk was the cousin Andy of the 86 Mets. <laughs> and although he wasn't quite as bad as is re- universally remembered, and he'd had a decent year not being tr- in, in spots where he wasn't really entrusted to do anything in 86, do you really want to give the Red Sox a shot at Doug Sisk <laughs> in the 11th inning? So uh, as you can see, I've, I've sort of played out the what ifs in my mind a little bit, but um I don't need a what if. I need what happened. <laughs> and Mookie, uh, Mookie got to first base. The ball went through his legs and went through Buckner's legs. Ray Knight came around. And uh, yeah, um, Bruce Hurst did not win the MVP <laughs> World Series. Uh, Ray Knight would win it. He did a home run in game seven. Um, you know, I don't think anybody would uh, have minded in a Met, uh, who was rooting for the Mets if Bill Buckner had been voted the MVP. Uh, but uh, that would have just been cool, I suppose. So um, I, I just want, want, want to leave one uh, coda to all of this, if I may, which was two years later in the fall of 1988, after the Mets had been eliminated by the Dodgers and what was a miserable NLCS uh, conclusion, I wander into a baseball card store in my general vicinity on Long Island. And I didn't usually go into these places, but you know, I saw it, went in, and I start talking with the uh, the owner. And he has a ball behind the counter mm-hmm. that says, this is the ball Mookie Wilson hit through Bill Buckner's leg. Sure it is. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, now at that point, I had no idea where the ball was. I was yeah, you know, I never, I don't know. And he tells me a story that his uncle was a security guard at Shea Stadium, and he's friendly with the umpires. And he has a picture with one of the umpires during the World Series. And he has, I don't know if the ball was was autographed by all six umpires or he, it was something, some other piece of evidence. And like, nobody believes me, but it's true. And you can have it for $185. <laughs> and I'm like, I'd love to tell you, I just laughed in his face and walked out. But I actually thought about it for about a minute. Not that I really had $185 to spend on a baseball. It's like, well, you know. I have no idea if that's true. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But uh, no, that's okay. Thank you very much. I leave. And and years later, I start hearing about, oh, Charlie Sheen has bought the ball for $93,000. And Arthur Richmond, the old Mets old traveling secretary, had it. And he gave it to Mookie. Mookie signed it. And they auctioned it. And then years later, it goes through a couple of other ownerships. Eventually, Steve Cohen. Uh, bought it before he bought the Mets and it's on display now in the Mets Museum. But when when the story about Charlie Sheen buying it came out, I was thinking, no, no, it's, it was in the, don't they know that the guy's security guard uncle picked it up and he got the umpires to sign it? Doesn't every, this can't be the real book. I was like, no, it's probably the other way around, Greg. <laughs> it's probably uh, that ball in the, uh, in the baseball card store uh, in Oceanside, Long Island, it was not the real ball, I suppose. <laughs> Alas. And I, hope, and I certainly hope nobody spends $185 on it, but... Um, it's a steal if it's real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we should go back. I, that store's no longer there. But um, in, in any event, uh, it, you don't need to have the ball because you have the result, you have the memory, you have the video, uh, which you don't need a VHS tape from. And uh, it lives on as uh, this conversation attests, as this episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm attests. And 
you know, I, I don't want to say thank goodness for Bill Buckner because, again, that seems kind of mean, but I'm glad what happened happened. I'm glad the Mets got to that point. I think that's what you, you have to throw in there, that, yes, it was the game was won on somebody else's mistake, and the Mets took advantage by having Ray Knight won from second to home and Mookie Wilson by touching first. But, you know, Gary Carter base hit, Kevin Mitchell, base hit, Ray Knight, base hit, alert base running all the way, Mookie Wilson jumping out of the way of, of the wild pitch from Chiraldi, and Mookie Wilson making contact. Because remember, that's what, I, that's what I feared. Mookie Wilson is going to strike out. He mm-hmm. makes contact, and he runs as Mookie Wilson always ran, and everything else, you know, they put themselves in a position to win. We won, and then game seven, and uh, yeah, we're still living off that a little bit, but uh, you know what? Someday we'll add to it. Someday we'll, we'll be talking about, remember that time the Mets won the World Series and you won't have to, you'll have to ask which one, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much. This was super fun. It's always really great right to uh, to revisit uh, some great times of uh, memories past. Um, and we will absolutely look out for you on ESPN in the coming uh, days and weeks to come. It's a really exciting uh, series that's coming up. So thank you so much, Greg. And Pleasure. speak to you soon. Okay. All right. So uh, that's that. Uh, that, that was, was fun. Great. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you so much. Really, uh, really t- tons of fun. Okay, let me let me know uh, when it's up. Yeah, I'll, I'll send uh, you. I'll send you the link once we post it. Hey, sounds like I I want to catch up uh, somewhat on on this uh, on this series. It sounds like a great podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we're having a ton of fun with it. Um, yeah, the new season of Curb is coming out next month, so that should be lots of fun as well. If uh, I you know if the Mets are in the playoffs, I'll have to tape it, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you'll be okay there. I think I'll be. I think <laughs> I'll be watching it live. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Thanks so much. Okay. Have, have okay. a great day. You too, bye-bye. I stepped off the bus in Mobile, Alabama Sun was slowly setting on the bay It was six o'clock on a summer Friday afternoon Shabbos was an hour away I walked around the town wondering what to do Shabbos is no time to be feeling blue Then I saw a man who looked the same way too I was quite relieved to find a fellow Jew I asked the man I saw how many Jews in this town He said to me there used to be a minion around But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found Won't you stay with us for Shabbos, minion man?
down Winston Avenue, a block then two more. And went into a shop that read closed on the door. There was a minion in the back of a hardware store. Nine men waiting for one more. We ushered in the Shabbos with a beautiful song. Hazen had a voice that was clear and strong. We sang out as one all Shabbos long. And my riv came again, I had to be moving on. I asked the man, I saw how many Jews in this town. He said to me, there used to be a minion around. But one of us passed away and we been feeling down Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found Won't you stay with us for Shabbos Minion Man was 20 years ago, but the vision is clear, and I think about it now and then, cause the place is still dear, and when I make this trip through Mobile once every year, I remember the men who prayed here, now the minion is gone, a few died, some moved on, but the back of the store still remembers this song. The nine men who waited, the one came along. How Shabbos was carried on a song. I asked the man, I saw how many Jews in this town. He said to me, there used to be a minion around. But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down. Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found Won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? Oh, won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? Please, won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man?